Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 76 of Dragonflies and Dragons. I'm Scatty and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey everybody, tonight, this episode, we are continuing our reread of The Hedge Knight by George R.R. R. Martin. This episode, we're reading the latter half of that novella. It's all part of the Knight of the Seven Kingdoms uh, kind of collection of stories of Duncan Egg. For those of you following along in that Knight of the Seven Kingdoms book, it's pages seven, or excuse me, 67 to 118, or in other words, from the evening of the first day of the tourney to the end of the story. All right. So I'm excited. I am also excited, we are also excited, to announce some fun things that we've been doing lately. Uh, Just two nights ago, Sunday night, Scad and I were able to spend a good couple hours, right, buddy? Yeah, it was was a good session. Uh, You know, never underestimate our ability to talk about ourselves, I guess. (laughs) No kidding. Uh, But we were guests on... The podcast called Isle of Faces, it's a brand new podcast that's going to be released and is hosted by our friend and fandom favorite, Joe Buckley, or Sir Buckley, on the Twitter, I believe is his name there. Um, He's written for, what, Tower of the Hand, History of Westeros, a whole bunch of publications, and now he's doing a podcast that is specifically devoted uh, and centered around... Uh, different content creators in the fandom so like i said he spent about two hours talking to us about uh, the podcast how we came to love the the series of a song of ice and fire how scott and i and even brooke got to know each other how the whole thing started and it was an awfully fun conversation and so look for that in the in the near future yeah, it was a blast. We, you know, we've talked a little bit in various spots of our podcast about some of those things, but there was definitely some new stuff that came out, uh, yeah. some some fun stuff once we got to kind of delve into the story a little bit more. Uh, it was a lot of fun and and so honored to be Joe's first guest. Just great. Mm-hmm. He's great, guys. You are going to love what you hear from him, uh, an immense talent, and uh, he seemed that he was a natural behind the mic, so... They did great. All right, uh, announcement number two, and then we'll get get to the podcast. Uh, we are doing, for our patrons of the $10 level or higher, we are going to be doing our first Google Hangout on the, in the next day. So on the 23rd of October at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we'll be announcing that as well uh, on the Facebooks and things like that here in the, in the next day or so, so people are ready for it. Uh, so look for that. Uh, get on the Patreon at that $10 level, if you want to come see us on a Google Hangout, we'll have you'll have the ability to ask questions. We'll come prepared with a few topics to get the conversation rolling if we need to. But uh, it'll basically just be a, a very casual way to chat with us about the cast and ask questions. And we'll probably ask you guys some questions and things like that. So we're really looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, it just hit me that, Scott, they'll be getting, they'll have like one day to prepare. Well, no, they'll be our patrons, <laughs> so they'll get it on Friday the 19th. And then, yes. and then the 23rd is when the Hangout will be, so buckle up. But I'm going to go announce it tomorrow everywhere, right? Absolutely. So, yep. It'll yeah. be on the socials soon. Yeah. Right. Which means nothing to what we're saying right now, because they won't even hear no. it. No. <laughs> They'll get those announcements five days before they hear this. All right. So, 
okay, moving on. We are spoiler-free, as always, with this podcast until the end of the podcast where we have Davos After Dark. We'll warn you with Matt's special jingle. Uh, the spoiler content is a little bit uh, a little bit dicey here in this, but uh, the rules are nothing that spoils anything coming up in these stories within these stories. Mm-hmm. So if that makes any sense. All right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and if you are interested in uh, in telling us anything, we're interested in hearing it. We love hearing from you all, our blood riders. Uh, so if you want to ask questions or you want to uh, critique us or whatever, you can find us at DavosFingers.com. Our email address is WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle, where we often uh, hang out, is at DavosFingers. And you can also find and like us on Facebook. Our Patreon program, if you'd like to learn more about it, is at patreon.com slash DavosFingers. So I believe that's it, Scatty. Let's just dive right yeah, into this sucker. This. Okay? Yeah. We've divided uh, this last half of the book, guys, up into four sections, just like we did last time. So we'll summarize the, the little subsection within this section, and uh, then we'll talk about it. So Scat is going to take us through the first one. That's Egg's Secret. Here we go. Egg secret. I've been walking for a thousand miles, wasn't getting anywhere soon. One man die and another tell a lie, it all led me back to you. Dreams and schemes and honor bloodstreams The things that'll carry us through well, I've been waiting on a dream these days Sure didn't think it'd be you well, I've been living in a dream these days It wouldn't be the same without you The jousting called for the day post-horse murder Duncan Egg decided to grab an ale and watch another puppet show this time about Nymeria and her thousand ships. Dunk, of course, has an ulterior motive. Tanzel, the relatively tall drink of water that runs the puppets, has his shield and his heart, question mark, maybe? Who knows? High-pitched voice? Raymond Fossaway finds them milling about after the puppet show and invites Dunk back for a glass of wine at his pavilion while filling him in on the news of the day. Briefly, Sir Humphrey was awarded the victory and Arion's fine horse, but broke his leg in two places and won't be able to continue. The turning will continue with just four champions, of which Sir Duncan is certain he only stands the barest of chances against the one man there is no way he can actually challenge, Prince of Alar. Back at the villain now, Raymond continues to gossip, indicating it was Baylor who suggested gifting Hardying with Arion's horse. Raymond also insisting that Arion had certainly attacked the horse on purpose. Also, he's certain that Arion would be much better behaved if Makar, his father had not disappeared to go find his two sons who were missing somewhere in the countryside. Now at this juncture, Raymond shifts a little bit in his thinking, actually pitying Prince Makar. He's a bit of a forgotten son, not special in any way, and his sons too are disappointments. One a drunk, one a bit of a demon, another unpromising enough that they gave him to the Grey Rats, and the fourth, well, he doesn't quite get there because Egg comes running in screaming, He's hurting her! Arion, the puppet girl, you must hurry! Against Raymond's counsel, Dunk runs after Egg. They find the puppet stall knocked over, the puppets being destroyed, and Tanzel being brutalized by Arion himself. 
He is twisting her arm with both of his hands, despite her pleading. He grips one finger and snaps it. The snap breaks Dunk out of his stunned state and he flies into action. He punches Arion in the face, all those brawls in King's Landing serving him well, then kicks him in the stomach, steps on his wrist when Arion goes for a dagger, and kicks him in the mouth. He is then swarmed and overwhelmed by the prince's men. Arion killed this horse for sport, and you get the sense this will not go well for Dunk. And sure enough, Arion promises to knock all his teeth out for starters, then asks Dunk why he would throw his life away for this whore and traitor. What the hell is he talking about? Traitor? She's a puppeteer! Yeah, see, she had the gall to perform a story where a dragon loses a fight, so... Yeah, Arion is off the fucking farm. Anyway, they're about to show Dunk his own entrails when a voice commands them to stop. It's Egg! Dunk, fool of a you! Credulity watches as Egg has the men release him or risk hearing from Egg's father and his uncle. Huh? What happened to your hair? Arion spits. I cut it off, brother. I didn't want to look like you, Egg replies. In the vernacular of teens circa 2015, oh snap. And that's the end of the Oh snap! So, big reveal. So! Big, big reveal. We probably did just a really shitty job at hiding that this was Aegon. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but but that it's out in the open now. I mean, did George do it? I'm trying to look at this through new eyes. Was he like yeah, really hard. trying too hard to hide it? It seems, I, it seems so blatant now, but... I'm trying to I don't remember whether I knew the first time I read it or not. I mean, I must have because... I had read the whole series. I knew who right. Duncan Egg were yeah. from various things, so I must have known. It's hard to imagine anyone comes to this thing unspoiled, really. So we did our best. Eh, take it or leave it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Arian's off his rocker. As yeah. I didn't know he was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that, too, in the next section. But, yeah, I mean, he's... He's literally taking it out on a peasant for a, something he saw in a puppet show. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, he's misplacing his aggression, perhaps. He oh, absolutely. already acted out with the horse, mm-hmm. right? Now he's been punished like a child for what he did with, the, with, with, you know, murdering the horse by having to give up his own horse. So now he's lashing out doing something it really is like a child he's doing something he thinks he can get away with right mm-hmm. that to, to to kind of assuage his anger and frustration at the world yeah yeah and in the end he wants to get noticed which i don't know it's makar's interesting prince makar's interesting because raymond kind of casts him in kind of a eh, he's an iffy light and you brought it up in your summary but the dude was pretty talented, right? I mean, so much credit yeah. is given to Baylor, but uh, Makar was one of those Targaryen commanders in the midst of the Blackfire Rebellion as well. And in fact, you know, Baylor was the hammer, but Makar was the anvil. Like, they were pretty evenly uh, deserving of the credit, I think, with their move at the at the uh, Battle of the Redgrass Field, right? The yeah. hammer and the you anvil. Um, go ahead. Well, you know who Makar is? 
your mom. And I ho- again, I hope this isn't a spoiler under her rules. He's Stannis. Totally. Yep. He he is gruff. He doesn't make friends easily. He is very much a follower of kind of the laws. He's a brilliant kind of military individual, but gets overshadowed by his more charismatic brother, who's also a brilliant military individual, right? Um, in, in a you know in a slightly different way, perhaps. But uh, I I I think the comparisons to Stannis are just enormous with him. Yeah, and in the end, I think that's that's what it comes down to is he just feels underappreciated, and yeah, I wonder if his kids are kind of the way they are. I'm maybe digging too deep here, that no such thing. He kind of figured that, you know, there's no way he's going to rule. He's clear down the line, and so there's no way his kids are going to rule. So maybe he didn't try quite as hard with them. Um, mm. in their upbringing, like maybe Baylor would with Valar and, and Mataris. Um, do you know what I mean? And then all I of a sudden, and then all of a sudden now he's like, Oh, well, my kids are as good as your kids. Go show them kids. Go show them. And yeah. Just yeah. How long, <coughs> how he, long was the sun, was the winter before this? Was it long? I don't remember now. Uh, Yes, it was long. Because this this really might be the first time that his sons and Baylor Baylor's are being kind of thrust into the spotlight for something like this. Like if it had been a multi year winter, you know, like maybe they hadn't had to prove themselves at a big event like this before, and so it really was like a you're like you said, Oh shit, I, I didn't do a very good job prepping them. Oh god. You know? <laughs> like <laughs> And yet here they are. He's he wants them to he wants them to show anyway, even though he you know maybe it's his fault. It's like, interesting. He, I hadn't thought about it that he, way. He's, he's got to know. Like he knows Darian. Yeah. He knows Darian's gonna just get trashed. Yeah. But he still sends him. And yeah, Darian had no. I don't know what no he was shot. wanting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Arian's okay, but again, Makar has to know there's something off with him. And right. Everyone does. I mean, we, we come we come to that here with the, um, you know, with with Egg just kind of taking control of that situation, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Everyone just kind of snaps too, and I was like, "Oh, okay, let him go," right? But oh, Dunk, there there's a theme uh, that runs a little bit of Dunk doing what he shouldn't, challenging those he shouldn't. Blundering into situations he shouldn't, uh, just because it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. right? And he certainly does that here. Yeah, every what was it that Sir Arlen told him? Uh, every knight swears to protect the weak and the innocent, but we keep the vow best. I think, referring to hedge knights. Yes. Um, yeah. If a cause is yeah. just, I love Makar's line that he's going to say later. If a cause is just, good men will fight for it, <laughs> uh-huh. which has some foreshadowing uh-huh. to it, but also uh, uh, also pins Dunk down to a T. I think it's interesting that he's doing the things a knight would do, but he's most successful, at least physically, 
when he reverts kind of back to his unknightly ways, his 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 ways yeah. uh, in the streets of King's Landing. He does it later in the story, and then he does it here, where he just instead of like you know unhand her as he approaches with yes. a sword or something he just attacks him like king's landing style just a brawl. all out brawl yeah. right but yet yes. he's doing he's doing the knightly thing in a very unknightly way right yes and that's drag him down into the mud fun. with you yeah yep <laughs> let's take him out yeah i, I love dunk what a great guy oh <laughs> <laughs> uh... How about uh, how about Raymond? I have a comparison for for Raymond too. I had one for Makar with Stannis. Raymond is the heiress Oakheart of Duncan Egg. He means well, but he's a bit of a gossip. He totally is. Yeah, he's you know. Okay, so there is something that happens cool later in this story. But for now, it just seems like Raymond is just a tool of George's, right? Yes, <laughs> to drive to drive information along. He's to, just uh, there to fill yeah. in bits and pieces of the story. Like, he just has attached himself like a little puppy to Duncan. Um, and he's, uh, I don't know, I have trouble really liking him, but I don't dislike him either. But you're right, he's kind of a little gossipy sucker, and that's a yeah. benefit to us because we get the parts of the story that we need. So That Thanks, we George. need, because, because Dunk will not go fraternize <laughs> with the nobles to get all this information, right? No, he was at ease among small folk and servants. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, just shows so much deference and discomfort, uh, acts with such discomfort around, you know, these princes mm-hmm. and such. And yet... <laughs> and yet, and yet, right out the window, as soon as you know someone's in trouble and, and needs to help, it's kind of amazing, actually, the lack of self control and self preservation that he has here in this moment. Right? Yeah, it's just like he starts seeing red. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. wonder if he would have done it for someone other than Tanzel. I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, she she certainly seems to. She certainly seems to have intrigued him. I feel like it's more than mm-hmm. just the, you know, the teen hormones going through him. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, he's so, he's just so tender about it. Maybe she will have a thirst then, you know, like, uh, he wants to interest her. <laughs> he, he wants her to want, want to be interested, right? To be comfortable. Yep. It's yeah. like, he's got the right idea, you know, just... Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the time and resources to focus on it properly. You know? <laughs> the resources. I like that. Like, <laughs> I mean that in a lot of ways. <laughs> I know. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> uh, All right. Uh I don't really... These are short what sections, so for the readers, we, you'll notice this was kind of a bit of a short section. We have two kind of shorter sections and two longer ones in this uh, mm-hmm. in this reading. Um, I really only have like one, one more note that I really wanted to get to. Um, was that uh, about Sir Stefan? No. No. I have some thoughts on him, but... Um, well, what do, you, what do you have on Sir Stefan? Uh, more what you had mentioned how it's interesting how he kind of 
shows up uh, at this and, and he's ready to go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Uh, I mean, he, he's, it, it's, it's a little bit of a weird thing. Um, he, he seems like a puffy kind of puffing himself up kind of a whole guy, right? Trying to challenge everybody and, you know, look for weaknesses and take advantage of whatever he can and just kind of, you know, kind of, just kind of get a, get the, get a bad feeling about the guy. But yet he does show up with armored guards to basically stare down a prince and be like, hey, this isn't right, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a little interesting. He's showing some backbone against Crown Prince. It's kind of, it doesn't seem like him based on what we'd seen of him already. Right. I don't know if it's... He could, yeah. And and maybe he's sly enough to be like, oh, no, well, I came, you know, and I brought guards just to, you know, see what the commotion was about and yeah. and support, support you know, the side that needed to be supported and, and the side that was good and right, you know. He could always, like... That's fair. Just here to help. He hasn't, Just here to help. He hasn't done anything here that can get him in trouble with anyone. Right. But, and you have to wonder if that's purposeful. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's awful, awful Freyish of him. Yes, very much. Very <laughs> much. Uh, the Yeah, the other note I had was just about Egg. Uh, I mean, he really, he really screwed Duncan on this whole thing. Oh, yeah. By keeping his secret, he he really did. But I think this really comes comes in on the next section, maybe. But mm-hmm. I mean, he he wanted to keep his secret, so he didn't run to Baylor. He ran to Duncan, right? And that puts Duncan a ton of ton of danger. To to like, he's got to know Dunk's going to come do something. He he and, absolutely knew that. I was just going to say that, and he's he got to know Dunk would come. He's got to know what that would mean for his life, and he did it anyway. I mean, I know he's nine, but, you know, I don't know. Also, is this the slowest assault in history? I mean, it's not like this is a battle of armed men and going at each other for, you know, an hour. This is like him attacking a puppeteer, and Dunk can run all the way from the puppet place to the pavilion. They can have a short discussion, and Dunk can run back. And they're still terrorizing this woman. It's like the slowest assault in history. <laughs> Move on. He toys with her, right? Probably. Yeah, yeah maybe. Just, no, they, you're right. They're psychopath. taking time to burn the puppets and everything, maybe. Yeah. All right, you got anything else? I don't think so. All right. Let's move on to section two, which I have creatively titled Preparations. Ooh. Go with that. Yeah. So Dunk the Lunk, thick as a castle wall and slow as an oryx. How could I have been such a fool? Dunk thinks as he languishes in the tower cell where he'd been thrown by Lord Ashford's men. Egg, a missing prince. How could he have been so stupid? (sighs) Nearly a full day passes before the cell door opens and there appears a tray of food and a young cue ball headed prince. My uncle says I must humbly beg your forgiveness for deceiving you. I never meant to lie, Egg admits, obviously miserable. His real name is Aegon, he confesses, youngest son of Prince Makar. His older brother, Darren, had been sent by their father to compete in the tourney at Ashford. 
That same Darren shaved Egg's head so his Targaryen hair wouldn't be recognized, then doubled back to the same inn where Dunk found him, hopefully to stay hidden until the tourney had ended. Anyways, Prince Baylor, Hand of the King, wants to meet with Dunk, uh, Egg reports, and it's with that that Dunk puts this uh, cell behind him. Baylor, when Dunk meets with him, is polite, but grimly realistic in his reproval. It is never wise to strike the king's grandson in anger, no matter the cause. Even so, uh, I at least detect a hint of admiration in the hand's voice, but uh, he quickly turns even more serious. How good a knight are you truly? How skilled at arms, he asks, revealing that Prince Makar is not pleased, mostly that his sons are getting all the attention for all the wrong reasons, and he's chosen to take that displeasure out on Duncan. There will be a trial, and Dunk has to know it's not going to work out for him, no matter how much intercession Baylor makes. He could expect to lose at least the hand that hit Arion, as well as the foot that kicked him. There is another choice, though. Any knight, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, has the right to demand trial by combat. So, Sir Duncan, Baylor asks, how good a knight are you? Later that night, Baylor, Prince Makar, Arion, Dunk, and others meet in kind of a, I don't know, scat a pre-trial proceeding. And it's there that Arion, ever the unpredictable, throws a curveball. He doesn't want a traditional trial by combat. He's going for a trial of seven. A what now? Hmm. A trial of not six, not five, only if you proceed on to seven. Eight is right out. Eight is right out. In other words, he picks seven knights. Then Duncan also picks seven knights who would... I say pick, but really the knights have to agree to fight with him. Uh, excuse me. Arion would pick six. Dunk picks six so that they the two sides equal seven each. And they all battle it out until one of either Arion or Dunk are dead or one yields. Uh, rebuffing suggestions that he's only doing this because he's afraid to face Dunk alone. Arion claims it gives Darren, who, had, uh, who says uh, Egg had been kidnapped out from under his nose by Dunk, a chance to defend his honor as well. <laughs> sure, Arion. Now, this type of trial by combat is about as rare as a red-headed Lannister, but it's within Arion's rights, the lords declare. So it's decided, and now Dunk must find six other knights to fight beside him before the morning. Might as well be 600 for the uh, unconnected hedge knight. You see... Dunk's uh, not that great at networking, as we've found out already. Anyways, dawn was just a few hours away as Dunk leaves the castle, feeling as alone as ever. Uh, casting away thoughts of fleeing, just running away, he finds himself back in the company of the Fossaways, of course. Uh, Raymond declares he would fight for him if he was only a knight. And Stefan one-ups him by saying he will fight for him. And not only that, he will go right then and now to recruit some of his friends, even if it means waking them in the middle of the night. You may rely on me, Sir Duncan, he brags, and he takes his leave. Uh, 
Not long after, Egg appears uh, in the company of a man who's hidden under a cloak. Only when he's in the safety of the tent does the cloaked man reveal, reveal himself as none other than Prince Darren, the same who, to cover his own butt, had accused Dunk of kidnapping Egg. Shut up. I know you want to kill me, Darren says, but we've got more important things to discuss. Namely, don't worry about him. Don't worry about Darren. He's a lover, not a fighter. And Darren fully admits that once the fighting starts, he'd be okay with a light blow to the head that uh, could take him out of the fight. So that's one down on Arion's side. However, and this is a great big however, Prince Makar himself will be fighting on the side of the accusers, as will three, count them, three Kingsguard knights, the best knights in the realm by reputation. Uh, you see, it makes sense. Sworn to protect the lives of the royal family, they have little choice in the matter. If two princes, uh, if, if Darren and Arion and their dad Makar are fighting, the Kingsguard are fighting as well. Um, that's six, so they're still working on their seventh guy. Before he leaves, Darren begs a word alone with Sir Duncan, revealing that he dreamed of him. Now, in this dream, a huge dragon had fallen on top of Dunk. The dragon was dead, but Dunk remained alive. My dreams come true, Darren claims, urging Dunk to be sure it's Arian that ends up being the dead dragon not him. Okay, so later Dunk encounters Steely Pate, the armorer. Tensel is gone, he informs Dunk, fled before she and her troop could draw any more notice or attention from Arion. She'd finished Dunk's shield, however, and left it with Pate, who, for his part, had reinforced it up a little bit. I mean, it seems to be about as perfect a shield as Dunk could have ever hoped for. And when he asks Pate how much he owes him for his work, Pate dismissively replies, from you, a copper. And so ends uh, the section. Man, lots unpacking there. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I can I just get downright scatankerous for a second? Wish you would. Because, <laughs> Matt, I'm gonna fucking lose it. Because these Targaryens, they just kill me. And it's it's Darren, right? I had to say something, right? I had to have some excuse as to why I lost my brother, and his excuse, his his something, is to complain is to blame a complete innocent. The rich and powerful and their casual recklessness with the lies of those beneath them. I'm honestly like, it drives me insane. So casual. The, the pure entitlement. Yeah. Oh, well, huh. I guess people will just die over the little thing of me getting drunk He's in an just inn. just a commoner. People will just die yeah. for it, I guess. Uh, well. I'm, I'm going to drink. And I yeah. just, it just reminds me. Oh, man. It just, <laughs> it just reminds me of, like, the Targaryens in general. Like, there's just, I know some of them turn out to be good rulers and stuff. And so it's hard to write off the whole family. But I just feel like they have this sense about them that is just so elitist and evil that it makes me not want to root for Danny. It makes me... <laughs> I just... This is so evil, Matt. It's so wrong. 
It, it's so it, it's so wrong in how casual it is, right? Yeah, uh, the casualness with which, with which they treat others, uh, specifically small folk don't even count as humans really to them. Um, but then just the fact that they could not only care, but then they just use these excuses and expect people to just buy it. Like later on, it's blood of the dragon type excuses, right? Well, it's just the way that we are. We're going to be short-tempered because we're the blood of the dragon. Yeah. Bull crap. Yeah. Give me a break. That's your pro that sounds like a you problem, man. Yeah. Not a societal problem. Figure and, it out. And what's sad and scary is like you pointed out in the last section, we're starting to even see it rub off on, on little egg a little bit. Yes. With which he goes and throws Dunk into the mix of this and, and sure he's nine years old and he's gonna go to the person that he trusts, which he trusts Dunk more than anybody. But uh at the same time, that's worrisome. But and and maybe it's even more. I hate to turn this into like a a racial thing because certainly people can rise above you know whatever circumstances they're put in. But Valyrians in general, not just Targaryens, but Valyrians in general have this boot on throat, we're better than everyone kind of thing, right? Uh-huh. And yeah, going back to enslaving the world, right? Yes. Yeah. In their history. Because they have dragons, Scott. Because they have dragons. So that makes them better. I just don't get people that love Targaryens. I don't get it. I like Danny, but they're they're evil. I'm just saying it. And it's cultural for them now. I mean it's so yes. ingrained in who they are. Yes. And I mean Arion, for example this is another example. He is willing and we're going to get into this in the next section, I'm sure, to throw away the lives of upwards of a dozen men, good, strong knights, just because he's afraid to fight Dunk on his own. He doesn't even need to fight Dunk on his own. All he has to do is say, I withdraw my charge. I was a dick. Which, yeah, he's never... That's all he has to do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I... Get over yourself, man. <laughs> no way that's going through his messed up head. But yes, a sensible person would realize that. You're talking about 12 lives here beyond yeah. your own. Mm-hmm. 13. Good lives. Like, yeah, most of them, you know, good outside of Darren. <laughs> Maybe Stefan. But I mean, these are Kingsguard knights who could potentially die in this. Yes. Who could be protecting the king and doing something actually important. Yes. But now they have to fight in this stupid trial just because Arion's afraid and is a nut job. And prideful. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't have to fight even. No, he doesn't. Yeah, fear (sighs) mixed with pride breeds crazy, I guess. So can we go back to Egg because you you brought up the point there in the middle that that it's rubbing off on him too and um you know well he he says I never meant to lie mm-hmm. and that's another lie he did mean to lie he thought about it he walked all the way to Ashford 
on his own with a plan to lie. He intended to lie. He did mean to lie. And he lied again by saying he didn't mean to lie. Like, I... I, I don't, we'll, we'll go more into this in, in Dobbs After Dark, I think, but like... I, I, I have a new... I have a new bit of perspective on Aegon this reread, reading a little closer that I didn't have before. Sure. And yeah. we'll get into that maybe a little bit more. But Yeah, it explains some things, perhaps. Yes. Well, even the way that he, you, the never meant to lie, my uncle says I must humbly beg your forgiveness for deceiving you. He doesn't yeah. yet grasp what he's done. Yep, and again, he's nine. I know we'll get yes. those people that yep. come out and like he's nine. My kids yep, are nine. It. I've got nine-year-old twins. I get it. They lie when they feel like they have to. In many cases, they lie to yep. prevent themselves from getting in trouble. You know, and maybe he felt like he had to get out under from Darren, but his life wasn't in danger. Like he just wanted. He lied because he wanted to leave. He wanted yeah. something different. He wanted adventure. Um, and that's what it came down to. And now this is the situation we're in. Adventure. Excitement. A good prince craves not these things. But again, he's a kid. Okay. I I know. I know everybody. He's a kid. Yes. Scat yes. knows too. We get I it. I know. <laughs> Can we bring it back around to Dunk so we can be happy again? Love them. Love him. Thick as a castle <laughs> he... wall. I love him. Here's here's the part that I... I think we said something similar last episode. But his first thought, the first thought we get after he's been put away is thinking how great it would be to be out there watching the tourney today with Egg. Even after Egg has put him in this terrible position, he's still thinking, oh, how great it would be if, you know, it's if there wouldn't be as many people. We could just get right up there and stand there together. It'd be great to watch that with Egg today. He loves him, doesn't he? That's a good point. Yep. Just, I don't know that Dunk fully gets yet what Egg has done to him. I, I think maybe that doesn't hit home until until he talks to Baylor, right? So, yeah, he, I mean, he knows he lied to him, but you're right. He doesn't maybe know the soup that he's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he's going on, you know, berating himself for not seeing it uh, at the beginning of this chapter, at the beginning of this section. You know, why didn't I know this was him? The eyes, maybe I guess could have given him away. But, like, I don't know how we would have known. Yeah. Yeah. He's had but, no interaction with the royal family before. Yeah. Anyways. The poor guy hasn't eaten in ages. Yes. And by, by ages, my, you mean the day. By my count, he the last time he ate was breakfast on the first day. So, give him a little bit of a break. Oh, he had he had a sausage, didn't he? At some point? I thought the sausage came when he was... Here we are asking the important questions. <laughs> this is really important. This is crucial to the story. Day before. <laughs> Because then on the first day, he had to, like, choke down his breakfast because he wasn't hungry. So he's not getting to eat, and he's traveling around with a kid named Egg all the time to remind him how hungry he is. Mm-hmm. To give the guy a break. Man. Uh, 
this was this was the section that had your uh, that had your special quote in it uh, about we keep the vow the, the we keep the vow the best. Yes, yeah, I did jump the gun a little bit. No, that's okay. Just uh, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful little quote um, about hedge knights. It's interesting in the Song of Ice and Fire you get you get really kind of looking down on hedge knights, right? And in this too a little bit, but. In A Song of Ice and Fire, it's not about hedge knights. It's about real, you know, knights from sterling houses, right? Yeah, and, it's a much larger scope. Yeah, and and here you get, you know, the, the view of the hedge knight. And so it's nice to get that focus about, you know, what do they think of themselves? Everybody else thinks they're garbage. What do they think of themselves? Mm-hmm. You know? It's interesting. Yep, I agree. Ah, it is interesting, I think, to, you know, you've got Egg, and he's kind of stuck in the middle, uh, and I wonder if Gurm's trying to make this comparison between Darren, who is a knight, right? Is he a knight, or is he just a prince? Has he been knighted? Oh, well, I'm he's, sure partici- found, he's I'm participating sure in the trial of seven. To knight him. <laughs> he's participating yeah. in the trial, and you have to be a knight, so I'm, I'm assuming he's a knight. Um... And he's, yeah, he was supposed to participate in the tourney itself, which you have to be a knight. Yeah, you got to be a knight for that, too. Yeah. Patents of nobility. I watched A Knight's Tale again, Scad. Oh, you did? Just because of this. After our discussion last time? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I I don't even care. I love that movie. I just love it. Yeah. Patents of nobility are required. Um. You're a sucker. <laughs> and then Paul Bettany does a little thing where he like chews his bottom lip when he says it. I'm just like, oh, I can kiss uh-huh. you right now. But, uh, you know, Egg uh, mentioning Darren isn't a very good knight, right? Going yeah. back to the common George R. R. Martin theme of knighthood. And you got Dunk who runs towards the action uh, with Tanzel and even going to the tourney itself. While Darren, he runs away from it. He runs away from opportunity. Um, to be clear, Darren doesn't have near the desperation that Dunk does, right? Uh, Dunk's doing it because he feels like it's, he's going to the tourney because he feels like it's his way to get his, get ahead in the world a little bit. Um, but Darren runs away, Dunk rides towards, it seems like, uh, and that people come to Dunk in the first place, but. But Darren is happy to run away and just wait it out, right? And what kind of entitled thinking is that? That just like, like how, has he just given up on life where he's like, I know my dad's yeah. going to be super pissed when he finds me, but at least yeah. I won't have to participate in this tournament, right? <laughs> you know, there are people, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've told this story before, but, but there are people that don't have kind of, I don't know how to describe it. They don't have any sense of like, the future being worse by whether than doing. the present. Yeah. If I do something right now, mm-hmm. I, I had a friend, uh, we'll call him Frank. And he, he was in an enormous amount of debt. Enorm- I mean, enormous for an 18 year old anyway. And he decided he was going to go on an LDS mission. That's like, get away from his debt. I think you have told me this. And, well, maybe I've told on the cast, which would be too bad if I'm wasting the time, but I'll finish it anyway, because I'm mostly there anyway. 
he decided he's going to go away on a mission. And I said to him, you know, that's just going to be waiting for you when you get back. It's going to be worse, way yeah. worse. It doesn't just go away. He's like, yeah, well, I'll deal with that then. It's like, no, what? That's like someone like me. I can't fathom at all making a choice like that. And thankfully, you know, he didn't end up doing it, but he was seriously considering it. And yeah, it's almost like Darren is just like, you know what? I'm out drinking now, and that's awesome. So, uh, yep, I'm going to do that <laughs> until I get found. Yep. So that's it. <laughs> like that, that's the extent of the thinking. Uh-huh. You know? Don't have, to, don't have to pay that bill now? Okay. Meanwhile, Dunk comes to the conclusion, better to die a night than live like that. In, me, in other words, yes. someone running away, uh, kind of in hiding all the time. Um, yeah. Later, he does say, "I would flee as well if I were not thick as a castle wall." But <laughs> if we weren't so stupid, <laughs> I'd be gone it. now. But uh, I did. L- when uh, Darren says, "I'm doomed to some hell," I know, likely one without wine. I couldn't help but think of Tyrion. This totally sounds like something Tyrion would say. It would. Would be something you say. Uh, I, I did want to come back to the. Uh... The Arion is unhinged bit. Because George is a master, and when he has Baylor explain this, it does sound a little bit like treason. Mm-hmm. This is only 13 years prior we had a Blackfire Rebellion. Yep. It's kind of not crazy to nip that shit in the bud of, like, showing, showing the dragon being vulnerable from their perspective. I realize it's completely over-the-top unhinged from, like, an overreaction perspective, but... When Baylor talks about it, it's like, oh yeah, that's not crazy. This is this is the reach where a lot of this stuff really went down. You know, with the Blackfire Rebellion, a lot of a lot of uh, support was found there. Uh, we're right in the heart of it, and this person's doing these things. Like, no, let's make an example. This is as as our Blood Rider Chase pointed out. This is perhaps kind of uh, the the reins have come, and this is maybe the first kind of uh, tourney and kind of public social gathering. And maybe this is a chance for them to just make a make a reminder, you know, make a public statement. Mm-hmm. I agree, it's harsh and evil. But the way Baylor explains it, it doesn't sound nearly as crazy as it did seem in the moment, I think. Right. He's a sly one, isn't he? He knows well, how to... Not only is he a good warrior, but he knows how to play the political game to turn things the way they need to be turned. And not sly enough, though, to... Not be outsmarted by Arion with the request for the trial of the seven. <laughs> Which, what a what a weak notion this trial of the seven is. So just just follow the logic with me for a minute. They believe so. So first of all, you you can request a trial by battle if you don't want to have the faith basically decide whether you're guilty or not. Right? I assume they you know, bring up the evidence and do a kind of trial kind of thing to see if, if you're guilty. We never get to see that because how boring is that? Everyone wants a trial by battle. So so you can request a trial by battle. In which the idea is right choice is the gods will give power to the arm of the person that is innocent and, and so they'll prove their innocence by winning the battle. Garbage logic, but fine. Okay, they believe the gods are going to do that. But then they come over the top of it and they say, no, 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 no. They'll really make the right choice if you choose seven people. Because there's seven gods. Sometimes. Like, 
But that implies that sometimes they don't support the right choice with the one-on-one thing. This is a binary thing. Either the gods are supporting the winner or they are not. Why do you need seven to to get more support for what is right? It's either right or it isn't. It doesn't make any sense, Matt. You know what it is? Why are you laughing at me? I'm not laughing at you. I'm agreeing with you. I'm (laughs) laughing with you. All right. I think it's a culture that celebrates violence. That's what it comes down to. They like to see blood. That's how they get okay. off. It's an excuse Man, they to get some easier killing. ways. It's an excuse to get some killing in. Yeah, I don't know. That's what it feels like, anyways. Yeah, I guess maybe it's just living in the world we live in that just baffles us at the lack of sanctity for life yeah i mean the things they do they kill each other for sport essentially and that's what you do there but come on guys but you couldn't have invented basketball or something but but you understand what i'm saying logically about one yeah person versus canceling out the other yeah like why does if you need seven to make them really pay attention and care to make sure the right choice is made, then the idea of trial by combat without seven is completely flawed because sometimes they must not care enough. Right? Yep. It's... I'm tired. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the sacrifice thing... uh, Well, it's... No, I'm getting more religious than I want to. Crap. (laughs) It's like in certain religions, including the one that I belong to, there's fasting, right? Yeah. And fasting is, is going without food for a time. So so praying is good, and praying is always good, but if you're fasting along with your prayer, it shows whoever your God is that you you're really committed to uh to whatever it is that you're that you're fasting for, right? And the hope is that that God will recognize your sacrifice and and see of your how convict you are for this thing and and maybe that will result in in a in a more certain outcome for you in your favor, right? Okay, and, and that's get, a good that's a good that's a good comparison. It's an it's an okay comparison, but but the difference here is the stakes don't get any higher than somebody's life. And that's why it's just an okay comparison. That's just me right. that's going like, without food if I'm doing it. And I'm just going without food. This isn't life or death. Yeah. For potentially I mean, multiple it could be people. For me. But oh yeah. Yeah. About anyway, hour. It's 11 a it's is a good comparison. Really hungry. Yeah. <laughs> Actually hour two, let's be honest. When you talk about fasting, I thought you were talking about your Twitter fasting. <laughs> what is that too <laughs> which i know has been driving you crazy <laughs> oh it hasn't been a full fast as you know but i know you're doing pretty good though i'm doing all right all right shall we move on uh let's see we don't need to talk about the king's guard rules we've been through that oh my god please don't how angry do you want to make me <laughs> oh Great. 
the prince got us into this. I guess we're fighting for him. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, they have no choice. You, I mean, I imagine the rolling eyes uh, are, you know, ever present in the Kingsguard tent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Here goes Arion again. Time to clean up after his mess. Murdering innocent people. Yep. But it's a sacred ritual, Scad. Yes, sacred. Mm. Only if there are seven, then it's mostly sacred, and maybe. <laughs> Eight is right out. Eight is right out. <laughs> uh. And the Lord spake, saying, First shalt thou take out the holy pin. Then shalt thou count to three. No more, no less. Three shall be the number thou shalt count, and the number of the counting shall be three. Four shalt thou not count, neither count thou two, excepting that thou then proceed to three. Five is right out. I didn't even think the of that. The hand grenade of Antioch. <laughs> I didn't even think of that until I was reading the actual summary. Doing it? Yeah. That was pretty great. And you just, you didn't miss a beat, joined right in. So... Good on us. We do what we, we do. What we do. Yep. All right. You want to move to uh, section three? Yeah. The trial. I've been dying. I've been dying seven. to read this. I hope I do it justice. This is so good, man. Oh. Oh, I love this part of the book. Okay. Go. Go. Please. Go. The trial of the seven. Dunk makes his way back to the lists, and he learns that Pate, who offered his shield for a copper, is not the only commoner in his corner. The commons in general for him, for the knight who remembered his vows, including someone outfitting his horse with all the fittings for a proper joust. When he arrives, he finds that Raymond and Egg have fucking delivered. Thirty minutes or less are the pizza's free type of delivery. Raymond has brought both Humphrey Harding and Humphrey Beesbury, those of the fourteen tilts from the previous day, and Egg has delivered Sir Robin Risling. He that rode in the tourney without a goddamn helm on. So that's five, including Sir Stephen Fossaway. But just then a storm laughs, and Lionel Baratheon strides in. Aegon came by, and he was not about to miss the chance to partake in a trial of the seven. Something so rare can't be missed. There are six now, and if Sir Stephen brings one more as promised, they would be full. Then the crowd roars as the opposing force makes its way onto the field. The three Kingsguard knights come first, followed by the three princes, Arion, Daron the Offended, and their father Makar in black-scaled armor with a wicked spiked mace attached to his saddle. But that's all. Only six. Guys, there are only six! Dunk armors himself, and when he finishes, Sir Stefan finally arrives. But he is solo. Correction, he is negative one. In fact, that is the summary of his character. He is a negative one. He has deserted Dunk's cause for Arions, hoping to curry favor with the prince. Maybe become a lord or something. Raymond is shocked. Dunk can't unclench his fists. Sir Stefan walks away. So Arian's side with Stefan is now seven, and Dunk's is now five. Or is it? Raymond pledges to take his cousin's place, if only someone would just knight him already. Dunk hesitates, but Lord Lionel obliges, knighting Raymond with the rights of the seven as Dunk is summoned to meet Lord Ashford, knowing they are still one short after Stefan's failure and betrayal. Lord Ashford sees he is short and tells him he must face the music unless he can find a seventh. So Dunk rides out and implores any of the number of men that might have known Sir Arlen, 
Manfred Dondarrion, the Grey Lion of Lannister, Lords Karen, Swan, Bracken, anybody. None of them give him the time of day. Are there no true knights among you? I will take Sir Duncan's side. A rider emerges all in black, in Valar's armor. But it is not Prince Valar. Rather, it is Prince Balor borrowing his son's armor. No one is more surprised than Makar Targaryen, who chides his brother for taking sides with a man that attacked his family. Balor, for his part, asserts that Dunk was only protecting the innocent. They should let the gods decide. Balor at their side, they huddle together for a strategy session. Balor, knowing the quality of the opponent, you know, three king's guard, recommends that their party use twelve-foot tourney lances. Not the sharpened, pointed plan that might work. Her lances, of the eight-foot variety, as the other party will use. As long as they strike with their lances, the the opposers can never touch them. It might be just what they need. Additionally, if they can make sure Baylor is opposed by the Kingsguard, they are ordered not to harm him. So with Baylor, these guys have a bit of a strategy, a plan that might work out. Anyway, they line up. Egg places Dunk's lance in his hand. The horn sounds. They all charge. Thunder carrying Dunk into the field on experience and instinct. The combatants ride directly at each other, no tourney barrier to separate them this time and Dunk's inexperience comes to bear in the worst moment. His lance has slid off the mark and into Arion's shield, and moments later, something slams into his side. The horses collide, Thunder failing to keep his feet in the rain so... Off! Dunk yells, and Thunder finds a way back up. But it's a minor victory as Dunk sees three feet of ashen death sticking out of his side. He yanks it out and searches the field for Arion amidst the chaos of the rest of the field. But Arion finds him first, his horse bulldozing Thunder and Dunk to the ground. Dunk finds his feet just in time to be bludgeoned in the face by Arion's morning star, falling again. He lay there on his back, and Arion taunts him, encouraging him to cry out his guilt, and he will only lose a hand, foot, and his teeth. Not receiving an answer, he brings one last killing stroke down on Dunk's head. But Dunk rolls, grabs, and pins Arion beneath him. He whips Arion's own shield from him, and rains down force fierce blows on his head, breaking off the ornate dragon heads on his helm. He rips Arion's helm from his head. Yield! Dunk drags Arion through the mud to Lord Ashford. Tell him! I withdraw my accusation. And with that, the trial of the seven has ended. Phew! Oh, that was so good, man. Intense. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's one of the best sections of, of the, whole, the whole canon to me. Oh it's yeah, so, it's a so song of ice and fire and so included, right? Like yeah. it's yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Really good. So, uh, where to start? Uh, a knight who remembered his vows. Perhaps the most important part of this whole story, really, mm-hmm. because it it uh, it has th- this quote has. Uh, I think more meaning later, um, at, toward the end of this whole thing, um, with Makar, when Makar comes to him at the tree, but we'll get to that then. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really, I don't want this to get overly political, but the commoners here are doing the only thing they can to show what their values are. Right? They don't have a lot of power in this situation, but they can at least show that they appreciate Dunk's willingness to step up and protect them. Right? Absolutely. And the problem with 
So one of the vows that the knights take is to protect the weak and the innocent, right? The problem is, is that knights, I think, get to decide for themselves who is weak or innocent or deserving of their defense. <laughs> and small folk don't usually make the cut. And it's uh, <laughs> a good way to put it. So when, yeah, when they do see someone, that's the way they can show their appreciation. I like how you said that. Uh, who da- who donated the horse's armor, for example? Right. I don't know. Uh, Steely Pate doesn't charge him anything for fixing up his shield. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, you, you said it very well. You know, it's up to the knights to discern, to discern the difference between who needs protection and who deserves protection and who doesn't. And, you know, that's a, that's a lot of the problem with a lot of human concepts. Yeah. We, we have a lot of concepts that are not bad. Socialism on its face is, is, you know, it has some issues, but it's got some pretty good stuff in there. The problem is you put humans in charge and it all goes out the window, yep. right? Which is the same thing here. The idea of knights is great. The problem is once knights are knighted, their incentives change. They don't stop right? being human. Yeah. So, oh, it's frustrating to read, but it's good to see Dunk really rising up and... um you know they they recognize it. Mm-hmm. It's good to see that too. Yeah. While 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 the lords and Arion and all these people see it as an inconvenience and all these things, the people really appreciate it, and that's cool. Yeah. So what happens to the rest of this tournament? Does it just canceled? <laughs> I I imagine it is. I I can't. Uh, I mean, geez, we done this poor this poor Ashford girl. Yeah, gonna live live it down. <laughs> Her poor quinceanera, just the cause of so much strife. Right. <laughs> so am I the queen of? No one cares anymore, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're gonna have a trial by seven here. It's gonna be good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it must be. Post. I mean. I, I, I can't imagine they would continue the tourney after Baylor died. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Well, that's what I wondered. I wonder if they would have picked it up again if something so drastic hadn't happened. But then I think, what did you... Uh, yeah. Trial by seven, there's going to be death. And, and, you know, with all the big names fighting in it, it seems like just a numbers game that at least yeah. a big name or two is going to fall. And, yeah. uh, but yeah, I don't even think anyone was even thinking about the tournament, uh, anymore after, right. after we see what's going to happen in the next section. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Did I spoil that? Oh, we don't. Usually we don't care about spoils. Yeah, I don't the same spoil episode. within episode. Yeah. 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 All right. Because Fine. we've already told people what we're reading for this next time. They, yes, yeah, they've read it. They've read the parts that we're they've read it. You've read it, guys. You've read it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, so how did you feel about Dunk's little crew of, of seven? Um, that's a pretty. Well, that's a pretty all star cast. A pretty great crew. Yeah. I mean. Um... With with Baylor's revelation that the Kingsguard can't attack him, uh, you know, and the knowledge that Darren's going to fall off his horse and hurt himself, 
you know, I'd give them a real chance, if not, you know, for the fact that the Kingsguard are... Well, we don't know a whole lot about these Kingsguard, but this was a time, you know, these, these are not... These these are not, uh, you know... Why am I failing to go with any of the Kingsguard members that suck in the, in the main series? These are these are not the shitty Kingsguard that Robert has. Boris Blunt and yeah, Marin Trant. Yeah. yeah, right. You know these are these are probably really good dudes, mm-hmm. and um, so you you have to you have to give you ha- you have to give the benefit of the doubt to them. I mean, if you just say that Baylor and Makar cancel each other out, you know, I, I think you still have to give the the advantage to the other side, given that they have Kingsguard Knights. But yeah, these are it's a good crew that he's got. I mean, yeah. a really good crew. We don't know anything about Raymond, right? I mean, he ends up holding his own against Stefan in this fight, but that's surprising given what the setup was, that Sir Stefan basically, like, pounds him bloody every time they fight. Yeah. Um, that's another thing that I thought was kind of just unsatisfying to me. It's like, ah, they fought. They're kind of this off-in-the-corner yeah. thing. No one's really watching them, probably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so probably. going at each but other. But it meant the it meant the fucking world to them, though. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. It was it was the main part of the battle for those two guys. I mean, they were. This is family pride. Oh here. man. Yeah. But uh, we see, I believe it's Robin Reisling that ends up. Uh, Dunk sees him kind of out of the corner of his eye, fighting with one of the Kingsguard guys. Yep. And, and does okay. He sees one Kingsguard guy kind of laid out. He's yep. out. Um, yep. We don't know who the other presume one's fighting. I presume Baylor did that. But I don't know that. Good chance. Yep. So, yeah, I mean... But what makes this fight so great is that for a good part of it, you don't know what's going on. And that almost... Because you're inside Dunk's head, which is inside of yes. the... A helmet with very limited vision and i thought that was such a brilliant move by by george of course he writes the whole book kind of from dunk's pov a little bit but yep. what a great way to really put you in the middle of a battle and for me it kind of made me more anxious not knowing what's around him and stuff yes um yeah. and and i find myself wondering like Oh my gosh, how's Beesbury doing? How's Baylor doing? Uh, did Darren really get conked out? Where's he? I mean, you don't yeah. really know, and it makes it all the more fun, I think. So that's part of what yeah. makes this such a good, good, good passage. Yeah. Did Did you ever see... Uh... Oh, man. <laughs> this one's going deep. Did you ever see a movie called Blood of Heroes? Blood of Heroes? No. Okay. I'm going to give like just the one minute version of Blood of Heroes. But Blood of Heroes is a, a dystopian uh, movie set in the future where traveling bands of players of this game called uh, Jugging is what it's called. And they go around playing each other. Uh, and when they, if they win, they take things from the other tribe or whatever that they're going around and doing. Huh. Um, but part of it is there's a whole underground society where like the really good players can join what's called a league, right? And and you can go if you think you're good enough. You can challenge uh, a team from the league and get into the league, or like get noticed by the league, or whatever. And so the team that this movie follows does that, and it's the same thing. 
they focus on the main character, this this girl who's has a certain role on the team, and they focus on just her part. And then she like goes through this massive battle to try to win her part. And you get to the point where you realize she's going to, and she's going to succeed. And she looks around the field, and she sees that all of her companions have also kind of won their little duels, right? Mm-hmm. And are kind of like keeping people at bay and winning. And uh, it's the same kind of thing, except, you know, this is a mixed bag of who's winning what. But she looks up, and she hasn't been able to pay attention either, right? She's just been so ingrained in her own battle, and so has the viewer. It's exactly like this. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Blood of Heroes! Blood of Heroes. It's got Rutger Hauer in it. What? Yeah. yeah. Rutger yeah. Hauer? Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Uh, it's also got uh, Vincent D'Onofrio in it. Oh, Vinny. One of my faves. Yeah. Yeah. P.S. This is old enough that he plays kind of like the other young guy looking for a <laughs> shot to get in the league. Yeah, it's it's an old movie. P.S. Uh, Daredevil's new season came out on the flicks, and I haven't even started watching it yet. Oh, yeah. I haven't either. I've been too busy. Just like but, uh, a week he's, or two he's ago. supposedly back. I hope so. I heard Kingpin's back. No, I heard, yeah, I heard Kingpin's back. Vinny's, Vinny's a top five for me. I love that guy. Oh, really? Well, oh, then yeah. you should definitely check out Blood of Heroes. Okay. Blood of okay. Heroes. I'm looking at yep. it now. 1989. All right. It's pretty great. All right. That was way more than a minute. Sorry, Kalasar. But you know what? Jeez. This is what you get when you hang out with Matt and Scad sometimes. <laughs> <They're>, yeah. <laughs> 76 episodes <laughs> in and we haven't changed a thing, so. No. I'm not about no. to now. Anyway, I agree with you. It's a really cool way to experience a fight. Yeah. Yeah. So, greatest. let's be honest here about Duncan. He gets trashed. Yeah. Yep. The uh, reins probably saved him, if we're honest. The what? Because of the reins. Because if he had stayed up on that horse, uh-huh. he would have lost this badly. Right. Dude has no technique. I'm interested in what happens between now and future Dunk when he gets all this renown because he's awful. Yeah, it's, first of all, one of his greatest, uh, well, his greatest offensive skill or skill, if we'd call it that, is his good defense. In other words, he can take a licking. He's kind of like Rocky. Yes, is Rocky, it? yeah. Yeah, he can, he can get hit a bunch of times. He 100% sustained a concussion uh, when he yes. got nailed in the face with the mace. Um, <laughs> yes. And But he can just keep going. And yeah. in the end, that's probably uh, one of his greatest skills and one of the reasons he won is that he could keep going when Arian could not. In other words, he outlasted him. Um, yep. He, yeah, shades of, shades of the Oberon... Uh, Mountain fight, right? Sure, yeah. Wear him out. Just, just getting trashed, uh-huh. right? Mountains just getting trashed, and then, you know, Oberyn makes a mistake. Arion makes a mistake, and he gets close enough to be grabbed, just like gripped, right, and thrown into the mud. Yep, thrown, thrown to the ground and dominated. Yep, and it's when he re- again, when he reverts back to, yep, you know the alleyways and pot shops of King's Landing that he's successful again when he just gets down to hardcore street fighting 
survival of the fittest type combat. Yeah. That's yeah, and you know, come out on top. We may be being a little bit hard on him about his lack of technique. Uh, he is facing, you know, people that are trained daily in the yard by, mm-hmm. you know, skilled ma- mastered arms. Yep. Just he had a six-year-old man training him, you know, when they didn't have to feed themselves that day. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, maybe he's not that bad. He's he's going against a pretty high bar. Well, when you think about it, he's been so nervous leading up to the tourney at Ashford because it was going to be his first real tourney. Yeah. And the first time that he's actually ever charging at something other than a Quintain. Mm-hmm is this battle yeah to the death yes like the barriers and even removed. then he can't focus long enough to aim at the right thing for more than 10 seconds <laughs> he's like oh crap <laughs> yeah it's like the dragons on the on on the shield hypnotize him or something <laughs> oh but yeah his first time ever competing in a joust is uh is a trial by seven so yeah yeah definitely some pressure there yeah definitely some pressure um the the little sing-song rhyme thing ended up being a bit of foreshadowing about shields oak and iron guard me well or else i'm dead and doomed to hell and it ends up being the shield that he essentially wins the the battle with right but not his own nope (laughs) heaven forbid not his own This beautifully yeah. painted thing by the woman who he's uh, infatuated with, and it, it's gone. It yep. gets trashed. But. Absolutely gone. Mm-hmm. Um, how about uh, Dunk's uh, hmm. hesitancy? Hesitance? He is hesitant mm-hmm. to Knight Ryman. Yeah. No, just uh, you know, more more evidence that this is something that he's going to carry around for him with him his entire life. Mm-hmm. That he is uncomfortable with this lie that he's set his life up with. Um, I assume he gets over it and knights other people in the future, but you know he's unwilling to make Ryman's knighthood a stained thing right i like the way you put that yeah like it doesn't mean something because it's not coming from an actual knight mm-hmm. yeah he also probably doesn't know how <laughs> lionel does it right and does all the rights from the seven and all that stuff um so he, he's like he probably uh, also doesn't know how Lionel, why don't why don't you do it and then he's sitting yeah. there like behind lionel like writing down notes of like (laughs) yeah left shoulder first then right shoulder okay got it it. oh you do it that way that's interesting i usually take it a little bit differently oh that's that's interesting (laughs) so we're in agreement i guess that uh although it's never explicitly stated in the text that sir duncan is not a knight i think it's pretty pretty well stated without him explicitly saying duncan was no knight Mm -hmm. yes Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would agree. Yep. yep. <clears throat> but again... What else, what else we got for this... Uh, oh, go ahead. Following George's theme, 
is it does it matter and is it maybe even better that he's not yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah um on that note maybe the only other thing i'll i'll suggest that just stuck out to me is you know where arion had no problem as we talked about bringing up this trial by seven to begin with and putting these lives in danger yeah what really spurs dunk on to actually finish this the point where he grabs arion by the leg and kind of a comical scene and drags him through the mud over to lord ashford yeah is when he sees makar getting trashed by lionel baratheon yeah. and baylor right he sees everything else going on yes he sees you know beesbury lying there he sees the kingsguard guy lying there but he sees Makar and he's t- and it says Makar's taking three blows for every one blow that he gives. He's facing off against the Laughing Storm and Baylor uh, Targaryen by himself, and uh, that's when he thinks Dunk thinks I must make an end to it before more of us are killed. And it's that yes. it's it's Duncan valuing life, even if it's mm-hmm. his enemies. It seems like that makes him more than anything Arion could ever be and more than many other knights could be is that he wants to stop the killing. He wants even someone like Makar to to not have to die unjustly or needlessly, I should say. And that's cool. Although he does consider popping Arion's eye out. Yeah. Oh boy. So he's not perfect. He's in the midst but of yes, it. I get yeah. your point. <laughs> Yes. Sometimes yeah. what you got to do is you got to take a you. breath, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to calm yourself down. Just come back. Come back to it after, you know, a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's ironic, perhaps, that it was probably either during that dragging of, of, of Arion to Ashford or maybe right before it that the life-taking blow was struck on Baylor yeah on Baylor which mm-hmm. which we'll get to um I mean it had to happen right around then I, I can't imagine he could have taken that wound and been swinging for too long right no, I so totally it must have agree. happened near the end had, had to have happened towards the end of the fight mm-hmm. yeah on that note should we shall yeah. we continue yeah let's move on we were, uh, at first I was thinking, we're kind of cruising through this episode pretty quick here. This is going to be a short one. And then we totally caught up uh, on this section. <laughs> yeah. Back to that us. section, yeah. yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah, but th- this one's shorter, though. We'll see. Yep, it is. So, Aftermath. And I wanted this one, I tried to divide them up more evenly, but I didn't want us to, like, stop in the middle of the fight and, like, discuss the fight up to that point and then continue. It just seemed to make sense to cover the whole fight. But no, anyways, no, yeah, it would have been hard. We're in the aftermath now. So Dunk remembers very little of what happened immediately following the end of the trial, mostly just pain, lots of pain. It hurt everywhere. So banged up that Steely Pate laments that they would have to cut him out of the dented, scratched armor, which, to his credit, Steely Pate's credit, got the job done of keeping Dunk alive. As we said, he got trashed, uh, but that armor 
did what it was supposed to do. Even in this state, however, Dunk has to know. The others, how did they fare? Has anyone died? The reply stings. Beesbury was killed in the first charge, and Humphrey Harding is in critical condition. Uh, he later succumbs to his injuries and dies as well. On the other side, Sir Willem Wilde of the Kingsguard isn't doing great, but everyone else lives. Even Darren escaped with only a broken foot, sustained after he did get knocked off his horse, fell, and then the horse promptly stepped on him. But it looks like Darren's dream about a hulking dead dragon was wrong, right? <laughs> Anyways, as Dunk's puncture wound is being tended to, a battered Prince Baylor approaches, and he's obviously not well. Barely a balance, slurring his speech, claiming his fingers feel like wood. He asks Raymond Fossaway to help him remove his helm, which is essentially stuck to his head from a blow to the back that has kind of dented it in, probably from his brother Makar's mace, Baylor wonders. As the helmet is finally removed by Steely Pate, a scene of horror, and I can't help but just quote it, Dunk saw something red and wet fall out of the helm. Someone was screaming high and terrible. Against the bleak gray sky swayed a tall prince in black armor with only half a skull. He could see red blood and pale bone beneath something else. Something blue, gray, and pulpy. A queer troubled look passed across Baylor Breakspear's face, like a crowd, or excuse me, like a cloud passing before the sun. He raised his hand and touched the back of his head with two fingers, oh so lightly, and then he fell. So Baylor, crown prince, hand of the king, went to the fire in the yard of Ashford, his end written flame, following the Targaryen tradition of burning their dead. Uh, as Dunk passes him by in kind of the funeral procession, he stops at Baylor's son, Valar, who's standing guard over his father, and he offers his sympathies. Uh, the grief-stricken prince replies, his eyes like ice, he had it in him to be a great king, the greatest since Aegon the dragon. Why would the gods take him and leave you? Dunk has no answer for him. Indeed, the world made no sense when a great prince died so a hedge knight might live. Uh, he ponders this as he morosely returns to his elm tree, again alone. Sometime later, still encamped beneath his tree, Dunk's surprised when none other than Prince Makar appears with his guards, begging a word. He'd sent Arion to lease, he begins brusquely, before turning the topic of conversation to Baylor. He hadn't meant to kill him, but he would go to his grave hearing whispers that he had. When Dunk somewhat graciously attempts to share the guilt, saying that because Baylor fought for him, he was just as much to blame, Makar agrees, <laughs> saying that Dunk would be blamed for every wrong to come that Baylor could have theoretically prevented. Would losing the hand and the foot been more worth it, Dunk wonders, before more optimistically concluding that the realm well, might need his hand or his foot, even more than it would need the prince. Eh, doubt it, Makar replies. <laughs> before seemingly get down to actual business. The actual business is this. It's high time his son, Aegon, 
became an actual squire. And, Makar says, he won't squire for anyone but you, Sir Duncan. Will you have him? If so, Dunk would be taken into Makar's household at Summerhall and would receive further training, even as he is training Egg. This is what Duncan wanted, right? He wants to climb up in the world. and Here's his chance. <laughs> Dunk ponders a moment before answering, and maybe an, an answer that surprised everybody. I'll read it. I will take your son as squire, your grace, but not at Summerhall, not for a year or two. He's seen sufficient of castles, I would judge. I'll have him only if I can take him on the road with me. He'll ride my stot, wear my old cloak, and he'll keep my sword sharp and my mail scoured. We'll sleep in inns and stables, and now and again in the halls of some landed knight or lesser lordling, and maybe under trees when we must. Ah, uh, you still feeling a bit of the concussion uh, you sustained during the battle dunk? Princes are not made for sleeping in ditches and eating hard salt beef, Makar says. Well, Dunk replies, <laughs> gathering a bit of courage. Darren and Arion certainly did none of those things, and look how they turned out. Awkward silence. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> At that, uh, Makar regards Duncan the Tall silently for a moment that probably seemed to last a lifetime for Dunk before he turns and leaves. Nothing decided. However, the next morning, Egg shows up at the elm tree, dressed in old boots and traveler's clothes. My lord father says I am to serve you, he reports. Dunk takes it in stride, although maybe this reader detects a sense of satisfaction. But then immediately, Dunk sets Egg to preparing the horses. Egg asks, where are we going, sir? Dunk thinks for a moment. Uh, would you like to have a look at Dorn? Dunk answers. To that, Egg grinned. I hear they have good puppet shows. End of novella. They used to have good puppet shows. Psh, who knows now? Okay. Well. So, Baylor dies. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah. Turns out uh, you can't live with half of your head falling off. Yeah, I have a word of the day. Word of the day! Yeah. If you, Ready? If you disrespect Baylor with this word of the day, I swear, I'm hanging up. Get ready for the first hang-up in history, Kalsar. <laughs> Double speakers. <laughs> Helmet. Oh, gross. Either the gamey, chewy substance that can sometimes be found inside a dented helm, or a piece of armor designed for the head that is not sufficient for withstanding mace attacks. Oh, gross. Helmet. <laughs> that's, one of your, that's one of your better words of the day. I came up with it on the car on the way home today. a boy. On kind of that note, do you think it was uh, the fact that Baylor wasn't wearing his own properly fitted armor that maybe contributed to, to some of this? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to know, really, but it's, uh, right. it's a plausible theory, I would think. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, reminder, he was wearing his son's armor, right? Uh, yes. Didn't plan they on ours. fighting, so he didn't bring his own. So I wonder yes. if that had something to do with it. But man, that uh, that quote that I read, the scene where he actually dies, that's one of the most like, like hauntingly beautiful bits of prose I think in in all of a song of ice and fire just it's um it's it's one of the most evocative scenes for sure I mean you can picture it mm -hmm. so clearly um the the way he's laid that out um and just like against yeah. the bleak gray sky swayed a tall tall prince in black armor with only half a skull yes like Oh my gosh. Happy Halloween, everyone. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's just um, beautiful in its gruesomeness. Yeah. It's... George, my heavens, man. I don't know. He, he just sets it up so well with the, it's only, you know, it's only like a couple lines ahead of when you actually find out his brain's falling right. apart. But, you know, the fingers feeling wooden, the slurred speech, he's kind of swaying. You're like, what's going on with this mm -hmm. guy? What's no? Wait a minute. What? What's going on? Right? Yeah, this and... isn't right. Yeah, it's just beautifully done. Mm -hmm. And uh, even then, Baylor has the wherewithal to be like, no, 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 no. Uh, don't pour oil on his injury. You're gonna want wine. I'll get my maester on it. And then, yeah, absolutely. Point the <laughs> don't even indicates that he saved his life twice right with refer yeah. referring to this oil thing like because they would have killed him they for sure would have killed him uh -huh. thanks a lot Baylor. yeah I, man went down uh saving lives yeah yep your man your man again going back to prince makar's quote from earlier what is it? Now I lost it. If a cause is just, good men will fight for it. Hmm. What a waste, though. Yes. In the end. Yeah. What a waste this silly trial was. Humphrey Beesbury, Humphrey Harding, two men that, by all accounts, were fantastic warriors, good men, down, gone. Yeah. You know? So. Taylor Targaryen, gone. Ugh. So who's to blame for this whole thing? You want to play the blame game? You know, we always got to have someone to blame. We do. I mean... It doesn't help anything. No. No. <laughs> I've, got, I've got someone close to me. I won't say who it is. But uh, in case they ever listen to our podcast, which they're close to me. So let's be honest, they're not going to. <laughs> but, um <laughs> who's always trying to find someone to blame. And I recently just like anything that happens, they're like, well, it's so-and-so's fault. And I recently kind of lashed out at him. And it's like, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. If we're sitting there trying to place blame on every little dumb thing that happens, it's, it's not helpful, but it's fun sometimes. It happens. So who's to blame? It happens at work for me all the time. Like, because, because of yeah. the role I'm in, a lot of it is like looking back at what we did and like explaining what happened and just kind of 
you know, sure, going through correcting it. where corrections need to happen too. Yeah, and thankfully, I've been working with the team I work with for long enough. They that they know the score. They know I'm not headhunting or like coming after people. And 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 frankly, a lot of the time it's my fault, and I own up to that usually. And um, but every time you know when we get somebody new, it's always you know there's always like some deflection, and I always have to give this speech. It's like it doesn't matter whose fault it is. It doesn't. None of that matters. That's what we, you know, that's over. We just need to move on and, and not make, you know, fix it, fix it, yeah. make it better going forward. I don't care whose fault it is. I'm just pointing it out so that we know what the fault was. Yep. And all that being said, somebody, whose somebody's fault was fault. it. <laughs> well, so, so you blame Arion? Do you blame Dunk? Do you blame Egg? I blame all of them. I think to some yeah. degree, um, you know, I mean, Arion is the easiest one to blame. Mm-hmm. Um, Maker's pretty easy to blame too, because I think mm-hmm. he, his overbearing nature on his kids probably felt gave, made them feel like they had no other way to do this. Uh, you can blame Dunk too. Um, mm-hmm. You know he could have just taken the punishment, which would have been awful. But Beesbury and Harding and others would not, and Baylor would not have had to die for this. Yep. Um. You know, I, there's there's a lot of blame to go around, but what I what I take from this story, I don't know whether it's what you're meant to take or not, but it alludes to what I was angsting over before. But the arrogance and who gives a fuck of the Targaryen line is what I take from this story, mm-hmm. and I take I take it as a warning about the Targaryens and the Valyrians, maybe in general, about like hmm. th- what they're about. And that's not what I took from sure. the story before, but it's what I'm taking from it now. And mm-hmm. there's, I mean, I mean, there's a lot more to take from it too than that. But, but that's kind of the new thing that I'm taking away from it. So now you approach maybe the future happenings in A Song of Ice and Fire. With I, I, a little bit more. It's hard because I do like Danny, but I, I. You know, there are, oh man, I don't know if we want to get into all this, but there there are people that say, like, nobody's going to sit the Iron Throne at the end. It's going to be, you know, this whole other thing. And the lesson is that there shouldn't be anybody in charge. There should be smaller groups of people governing themselves. Or, you know, like, there's all sorts of theories about what's going to happen at the end. But I think about the worst thing that could happen is Danny figures out how to have heirs and dragons and the Targaryens take over again. Because. And it just repeats. Yeah. History just I, repeats itself. Yes. Based on this, kind of ba- based on like Danny this, is Aegon the Conqueror. And... Yeah, based on this subset of, you know, this story, they're awful. You have winners like Baylor, but like, I don't know, few and very far between. Yeah, few and very far between. That's fair. Very it's fair. not it's not even the society is awful with them in charge. That's not really even what I mean because they have some very good times. Like if you read the the history book, the world book, like they preside over some peaceful times, some good times with the, you know the dragons kind of the death star that that puts people in fear enough to, you know, not cause trouble whereas before that they were warring all the time amongst their little kingdoms, right? And so there's something to be said for that, but I can't I can't un- ends justify the means on this with the way they treat people on, you know, in the micro econ 
side of things. It's too mm-hmm. it's too ugly. So yep. bah. Did I answer the question of who I blame? Who do you blame? Uh I think there's plenty of blame for everyone. I do like going back to the to the Targaryens though. And they're just so used to being in charge and they're so used to being the big kids on campus that they don't even see below a certain point anymore. Yeah. Except for there's I'm just reminded now of a little comment by Egg, and I think I wrote it down back in my notes from a previous section. And one thing I do like about Egg, what does he say to... Oh, it's a simple quote, so I could probably just kind of remember it. Um, oh, there it is. He Egg talks about how he and Dunk aren't all that different, right? Because they're both from King's Landing, mm-hmm. right? It's not so far, and, sir. And... Yeah, exactly. Dunk says, yeah, we're both from King's Landing. You from up there at the top of Aegon's Hill and me clear down at the bottom. And uh, and Eggs reply, that's not so far, sir. So there is kind of that little glimmer of hope that I liked in, in Egg that maybe he can be a little bit different. Um, and Well, stay we tuned for Davos After Dark where I reverse my yeah. whole opinion on Targaryens. So, Hey. Hey, there can be those good eggs in the pack there. Yeah. But for the most part, it's not pretty. Yeah. <sighs> um, let's see. It sucks. Uh, Valar's comments about Baylor. Mm. About. Um, I doubt it. The that uh, the king, you know, all. Why does this guy have to die so that you might live. And it's kind of crazy that in the end, Dunk doing what we've said and what the small folk feel a knight should do, right? Being a knight in the true sense of the word, defending the innocent and the weak. And now as a result of, of that action, regardless of whose fault it was, he's going to catch flack for it maybe forever. Yep. Right? Yeah. For sure. And if, if Makar's to be believed, if, if they start cursing, if even the small folks start cursing Dunk's name when something bad happens, <laughs> the same people that were cheering him on before might be cursing him someday. Absolutely. And that's kind of what the, the dark, tragic underbelly of all of this is that, you know, even doing what you're supposed to do Sometimes has crappy consequences. Yes. For sure. And then I guess the question, though, is, is does that mean you just shouldn't do them? Does that mean it doesn't matter? Well, you don't know what the consequences are going to be when you do them. Mm-hmm. You have to do it based on what seems right. And you don't know what the consequences will be. Doing right just because it's right. Yeah. yeah. Not not thinking about the treat that you're going to get after you do it or whatever, but doing it because you should. Yeah. I like that. What do you think uh, Makar sees in, in agreeing to Squire Egg to Dunk? Because Dunk's proposal sounds ridiculous. It sounds a little addled. Uh, 
But no way could you let a, a prince of the realm just go gallivanting across Westeros. Yeah, you couldn't, which is why they're going to hide him. Uh, but um, I, th- I think I think Makar sees. So first of all, Makar's not in that different of a spot than he was in before. His kids are not, you know, climbing the succession ladder anytime soon. They lost one heir, but there's still lots, yep. right? There's still tons. Yep. So it's not that different. And so I, I really, actually, I really like Makar. He does some shitty things. and I'm not sure how great of a father is after your insight today of, you know, maybe, maybe he was driving his kids to be shitty like this because they're, you know, they can't live up to expectations or maybe he didn't try or, you know what, but I like him. I feel like he's very pragmatic. I feel like, uh, he can see what's in front of him. He doesn't really let his own pride get in the way of things. Um, and I think what he sees is what Dunk's telling him. Uh, he, he can see it. I've failed my first two kids by treating them the way that, uh, however I've treated them, maybe, maybe something different is what's needed. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, the kid likes him. Um, you know, he's, got a bit of a stubborn streak. Maybe we break that out on the road. Um, or, you know, maybe he's like, kid will last a week and then I'll be back. You know, get let, let's let I him, that let's too. let him get it out of his yeah. system. Let's see how this really goes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you allow your kid to run away from home, right? Yeah. But, but I, I don't think that's it. I really don't. I mean, it's, it's funny, but I, I don't think so. I mean, the courage of Dunk giving his descriptions back to Darren and Arian of, of how they've turned out. I mean, wow. Like, throwing, <laughs> like, I wouldn't do that to someone of my own station, like, just throwing out there how shitty their sons are. Uh, and he does. He just does it. And, and make our, like I said, he doesn't let his pride get in the way. He takes it. He thinks about throttling him. Uh, but he doesn't. He chews on it almost literally. And, and he makes a choice that, you know, takes into account what Dunk is saying. And I think it takes a really big person to do something like that. Really big person. I agree. And we'll talk about Makar. We can Davos after dark about how his future goes and everything. Yeah. <clears throat> but in the end, I, I would agree with you. Um, it takes a big person for Dunk to want to do that too. Uh, yes, you know, you talked about how Dunk just even in captivity, he wanted to be down watching the tourney with the kid who just got him in trouble. Right. He honestly cares about doing right by Aegon and he just got an offer for what he wanted. Like I mentioned in my summary, he, he's got stability. He's got an offer of stability now in summer hall. Right. Working for a prince, part of his household. That's what he wanted. And he's turning it down for eggs good uh, and and eggs true good for preparing him for the world and not just giving him like safety and security and all the things that he needs as the as a prince. But and uh that really shows something about Dunk and and his feelings for egg. It does. It does. And, uh, 
maybe also he's thinking of the realm a little bit. Um, the realm needs good men. Um, you know, the the fact that maybe he owes this to Baylor mm-hmm. to, to, to do this for his, for, you know, his family. Maybe. I don't know. It's maybe a bit of a stretch. I mean, what he should be thinking is get me the hell out of the way of the Targaryens. The attitude he had for most of this story is, I don't want to be near anybody like this. Just keep me away from them, right? Yeah. Um, perhaps so. He should have. He should have just said, uh, "Not interested, Makar. Thanks. Okay, see you later." Yeah. Bye. What the hell is he doing at the Elm still? Like, run away? Like, yeah. why are you? You know, <laughs> like go somewhere else. But, but he, but he's, yeah. I mean, I think he's thinking of of others besides himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Ready to move on? Yeah. Do you want to do, uh, since Baylor's dead, do you want to do who's that Targaryen or who's that dragon? What do we call Who's that dragon? Thing? Who's that dragon? Do you want to do it before dad this time? Sure. They're going to come right after one after another, but yeah, you can do it before. Right. Yeah. All right. So uh, we do a segment for those who don't listen to Davos After Dark. Last episode, we did it in Davos After Dark because it dealt with some future happenings. But we do a segment now called Who's That Dragon? Our first Who's That Dragon segment was on Arion Brightflame or uh, Arion Targaryen, son of Makar. Today, Who's That Dragon is Baylor Targaryen. How could it not we be? We got to do it yeah. in honor of the fallen. Who's that? Who's that? Who's that dragon? So just a quick rundown of, of who he was. Oldest son, obviously, of Darren and uh, Darren's wife, Mariah Martell. So from Dorne. <clears throat> and he inherited kind of her looks. We know he has kind of darker hair and everything. Doesn't look super Targaryen. He got his nickname of Breakspear when he was 17 years old. He defeated Damon Blackfire at a wedding tourney for Princess Daenerys and uh, apparently broke some spears or something and earned himself the nickname. When the Blackfire Rebellion came about, uh, it was about 15 years, 13 years, right? 13 years prior to the happenings in in the Hedge Knight Mm -hmm. when he had the Blackfire Rebellion. Baylor actually advocated... <clears throat> kind of leniency and t- towards the Blackfire pretenders. He kind of sued for peace. But in the end, when the king decided war was going to happen, he uh, was one of the Targaryen commanders. He led forces from the Stormlands and Dorne. And we mentioned the Battle of Redgrass Field, where he made his famous maneuver with his brother Makar, where Makar's men kind of stood there, held their ground, uh, and then... Baylor and his forces attacked the Blackfires from behind and kind of drove them in to Makar's men there who were stationed down and smashed them against it, called the uh, Anvil and the Hammer, with Baylor being the Hammer. They even wrote a song about it after, apparently. As they do. As they do. He was named Hand of the King after this battle. Held the title also of Protector of the Realm. And uh, he was married to Jenna Dondarian and had two boys, Valar and Mataris. Um, 
And that's who he was. How old was he, Matt, when he died? 39, right? Is that right? 39, Valar says. But uh, what could have been, do you think, with him? Would the Iron Throne have eaten him and his kids alive? I don't think so. He could have been one of the great ones. I mean, the the thing you don't really know about Baylor is how um, how he maybe would deal with political adversity and and being cruel enough. If that's if I would look at it to be king, right? To be um, right, you know, hard enough. You kind of have to be mm-hmm. uh, to be in that role sometimes. Um, I don't know. I don't know that we have a sense of that. I mean, he does have some some moments here where he's saying things like "Let the gods decide," you know, like this is this is going to happen however it happens which gives a sense of fatalism that that sometimes you need it there you know to to be hard like that um i don't know i th- i think he would have been one of the great ones i think we're meant to believe that i think i think if you don't believe that this story has less impact and i don't think that's what george is intending i think he wants us to feel the weight of this death mhm it really means something yeah. <sighs> rather laugh with the sinners and cry than the saint with the saints because the sinners have much more fun. It's one of my favorite karaoke only, songs. And only the good die young, Scatty. Yeah. Uh, gosh, since he's dead, we really don't have that much more to talk about him. Yeah, I mean, um, I I think... Yeah, I think he could have been great. I think, uh, you know, I, I guess we don't know much about his kids. Valar seems like kind of a, I don't know, kind of an emo, mopey kind of dude. I don't know. I don't know how great he was. So I don't know how great a parent he was. Hard to tell. Um, you know, we lose his kids, both of them, I think, in the spring sitness, right? Yep. Um, which is I think the very next year or two years later. So uh, same year, same year. So later the same year. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's almost it's almost like uh, <laughs> like Gurm had this little hole to fill, and uh, he filled it he filled it in Duncan Egg with Baylor Breakspear and his family, and then uh, <laughs> and then wanted it to just fade away after that. Um, there's not much else to say. Other than he seemed like a great man who was generous with his maesters and generous with his time and generous with his philosophy and seemed to have it all together. Except his skull. Ouch. Yeah. Hell neat. Hell neat. All right. Should we uh, move into Davos After Dark? Let's do it, man. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this... uh this discussion this chat about the second half of the hedge knight join us next time as we read the first half of the next book which is the sworn sworn sword sworn sword sworn sword uh my favorite i'm excited to get into this one this one's scad's favorite uh so i'm we're gonna have a ton of fun with it uh, we're still continuing on though, folks. So if you want to stick with us, if you are okay with hearing all the spoilers that happen in the Duncan egg series, 
uh, keep listening because we're moving into Davos After Dark. If you'd rather not be spoiled, stop listening now, okay? But join us again in three weeks for that next episode. Uh, can't wait to see you, but stay if you want because here we go. It's time for Davos After Dark. After Jark. Um, let's see. Uh, since we're kind of still talking about Makar, should we should we finish him up? Should we button him up? Sure. Yeah. So he does become king. He does later on, folks. He does. Um. Not immediately. Daron dies in the spring sickness, which yeah. is later that year, yeah. along with Baylor's kids, which yeah. means that the middle brother, Ares, Ares becomes king. Not that yep. Ares. The other Ares. Not the bad one. Yep. Well, this one wasn't great either, but at least he wasn't a total nut job um, yep. in terms of being obsessed with burning people up and stuff. Uh, he rules for a while, and then... Makar takes over and you know all things considered uh Makar's reign was pretty pretty peaceful yeah yeah right it seems like he makes uh pretty prudent decisions he despite not getting along with Brennan Rivers he keeps him on his hand hand of the king uh this is kind of a mm-hmm. I don't know how bitter the feud was but he felt I think uh you know like passed over I guess uh, the, totally the, underappreciated. Right, that Brendan Rivers totally. was, was getting all the attention and love from uh, from the family when he could have been more helpful. But he keeps him on uh-huh. his hand when he becomes king, uh, which is probably a good choice. Um, he did summon Amon back to court to serve him, but uh, Amon refused. More about that maybe a little later. I don't know that we have a ton to say here. You don't get a lot of detail uh, about his rule, but... It seems like he was, again, drawing the comparison to Stannis, like, it seems like he was just a just, prudent, pragmatic king, right? They had peace while he ruled, and it was mostly in the summer, I guess, but it seems like a good rule compared to, you know, some of them. Compared to, yeah, others. Um, even compared to his predecessor, Ares. Um... Yeah, wasn't making a lot of friends, but no, got the job done, kind of. Yeah, um, he dies uh, fighting. Yes, you know, just like he'd probably want to. Yeah, fighting uh, rebellious lords in the Peak Uprising. Those goddamn peaks. I mean, these guys just—they gotta go. Chill out, guys. They gotta go. Just chill out. But apparently, he was crushed to death. By a rock. Yes. That was hurled from the battlements as he was storming the castle of Starpike. That's what they say. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, of course, when our dear Egg takes over as Aegon V. Yeah, after a council put him there. Um, so do you uh, do you have any other thoughts on Makar that you want to go into? So... I have a, a little fun little jaunt that we can take but if you want to go first you can (laughs) okay yours is probably more useful than mine so i'll get mine out of the way 
I started wondering if it really was Makar that killed that killed um, Baylor, and that of course would you know lead me to believing that Lionel did it. Uh, there, of course, the two guys are fighting against Makar, and the blow that uh, Baylor sustained was behind his head, yeah. and with. What? Yeah, no, I, the physics of it, you know, the CSI yeah, component and, and would when, lean that way. Yeah. <laughs> With Makar, like, doing everything it sounds like he could do to fight these two men off, I don't know how he could have gotten his mace around the backside of Baylor's head to, to land that blow. Now, there could have been something where I think they were on horseback fighting at this time. It's not really clear if they were on horse or on foot at this point. Um so maybe like the horse kind of turned and it got him or whatever, but I have, you know, is it possible that for whatever reason, maybe by accident or maybe on purpose, uh, it was, it was, it was Lionel. He certainly, he was fighting with the battle axe as the Baratheons do. Um, so certainly strong enough to do that to the armor. Uh, so, but there's a problem with my wonderings and there's a big problem and that's motive i yep motive that's what i had to come back to is why would lionel want to kill balor um the other problem is that that was the main event out in the fight this isn't like stefan and raymond fighting each other yeah (laughs) you know like everyone was watching everybody was watching that fight the two brothers princes fighting each other and the laughing storm joining in every eye in that stadium is fixated on that fight and frankly i don't think lionel could have snuck the blow in i think someone would have seen it um so in the end the conclusion i arrived at was no it probably actually really was Makar that did it but unless think, Lionel did it by accident I think it mu- I think it must have happened before Lionel joined joined them in fighting each other like just before maybe somehow maybe um, maybe be- because because the odds of him turning both uh, getting around both competitors is really really bad odds um you mentioned the axe so he was fighting with an axe Lionel was yeah is that right because an axe would yeah. make a different type of mark than a mace on armor. Mm-hmm. And I would think Pate would know that. I mean, unless he hit them with, like, the dull side, you know, like the flat of it or something. Hound yeah, style. Yeah, like the flat side, yeah. Uh-huh. Hound hound on Arya style. But uh, it would, you know, it would cleave. And it would it would definitely be a different kind of mark. Dent, dent it in, yeah. Well, the mace would dent it in. Would, de- like, dent... It a, but it would like a bludgeoning yeah, I object. I see what you're saying. Though, like, kind of like a, it like would cut a, through it, maybe, or you know, like it would be a sharper, a it would sharper be a different kind of in, dent, like yes, a crease right. type dent. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, right. So I would, I would think Pate would would note that, or mm-hmm. would he? I, I would think he would know the difference. But uh, it's certainly an interesting thought. Um, yeah, motive is the biggest thing. Um, yeah. Uh, of course, we know <laughs> we know we know that that Lionel Baratheon ends up uh, very much opposed to the crown later. Um, 
Yeah, when, let's just uh, segue into into laughing storm talk real quick. Yeah, I mean we can do it real and then quick. We'll, I mean we'll return to Maycar. Yep, it's somewhat ironic. You know, the laughing storm jumps into this fight to to help Dunk, uh, and then mm-hmm. you know thirty years later or so, I'm probably wrong about the actual date, uh, rises up in rebellion when Egg's child, uh, mm-hmm. Duncan, Duncan the small, Duncan the small mm-hmm. breaks off his engagement to Lionel's daughter. And, uh, and he, so he rises up in rebellion and Dunk fights him in single combat, which is hilarious. It's like, come on, man. Don't you remember? You owe me a solid here. Let somebody else fight <laughs> yep. me at least, you know? <laughs> yeah. Was that, I wonder what that was like. They're facing each other down or something. Yeah. Well, and Lionel must've been pretty old at that point. I, I would think, but. You know, in his, in yeah. his 50s, I guess. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so just a little interesting note there. For those that didn't know that they, they do have their own little trial by battle a little bit later. Yeah, and uh, Dunk Dunk defeats him. He, he does, yeah. He ends up, Lionel ends up yielding. He doesn't have to kill him. Yes. Um, Lionel ends up yielding, and then in just kind of a show of let's just make this right, uh King Aegon Egg promises his daughter to marry Lionel's son, right? Yeah, Ormond, and that ends up being... And that eventually does go through. And that ends up being the source of the Baratheon claim for the crown when Robert takes or it. Or Robert's rebellion. Rael is yeah. that daughter that Aegon sent who marries Ormond mm-hmm. and they have Stefan together. And that's the Targaryen claim that they have, which is... Yeah. Which is interesting how that all came around. You, yeah, I think we mentioned it last time, but that makes Lionel um, Robert Stannison Renly's great grandpa, right? Yeah, I think so. Yep. So, yeah. Interesting how it all comes together. Yeah. Hmm. Speaking of things coming together, you ready for my tinfoil? Let's go make our. Yeah. Okay. Back to make. Well, Back it's it's really make. only tangentially related to make our. It's more of an Aegon Aegon Amon thing. So when okay. I was when I was just researching make our, and kind of reading about his uh, his time as king, mm-hmm. it got to the point about summoning Amon, and it notes that Amon rejected him. He didn't want to upset the current. Uh, the current uh, Grand Maester, right? He's like, no, no, I don't want to get in the way. That guy's, you know, he's on it. He's doing his job. I don't need to be there. So he goes and instead chooses chooses to serve Daron at Dragonstone. Daron the Dreamer, the yeah. same Daron in this uh, in this book that we've been talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, Aenys Blackfire, Aenys Blackfire, was summoned to King's Landing under safe conduct to present his claim for the Iron Throne after Maker died. Um, so, yep. as I alluded to earlier, there was a council basically that decided who was going to succeed uh, to the throne after Maker died. And Aeonis basically wrote a letter saying, hey, consider me. You know, I'm sure it was not that nice, but consider me. I have a claim. Um, and so they said, okay, come here and make your claim yourself. Right? Uh-huh. Go ahead. Question. And he was Damon Blackfire's son. Yeah, correct? I believe so. Yeah, I should have checked that, but yes, related. Um, 
so when he arrives, Blood Raven, Blood Raven just has him beheaded. Just kills him and puts yep. his head on a spike as a sign, like, hey. Sucker! Yeah, don't stop. You guys have been doing this for decades, just stop, right? So Aegon, now king after the Great Council, famously sentences Blood Raven to death, but spares him if he takes the black. He does... And Amon also joins him, Daron, who he was serving, having died before Maker did, and having no one to serve. So Amon's kind of got nothing to do. I'll go with him, right? But none of them were really that upset at the beheading of Aeonis. In fact, having a punishment for Blood Bloodraven seems all too convenient. They're all secretly happy this happened. Aegon's not really pissed off that he was killed. He's just, he has to show that the crown can't lie like that oh, and, yeah. and have yeah. no punishment. Yeah. So I'm thinking, well, during our Team John episode, become a patron, listen to our Team John episode, we speculated that Amon and Egg were communicating while Amon was at the wall. I don't know if you remember that. It was kind of a smaller detail in there. But we're like, they're writing oh, back sure. and forth. They're, you know, corresponding. They were brothers and they were close. Mm-hmm. Maybe researching, finding out about others, all that stuff. Yep. Maybe even the Aegon's need for bringing dragons back. I don't remember if we covered this or not, but maybe even that Aegon's need for bringing dragons back was because he felt they would be needed for the wall specifically. But maybe... I think we did talk about that. Yeah. But maybe it didn't start with research and those two corresponding. Maybe it started much earlier. Maybe it started when Darren, the dreamer, had some dreams on Dragonstone... That Amon was there to interpret. Right. Maybe the others was Darren's big dream. Isn't it a little weird? We're called, he's called Darren the Dreamer, and like he's really only got like one or two that's even noted. Maybe his big dream that's really going to affect the series is that he dreamed about the others. That he dreamed that they would need dragons to battle them. And that Amon, serving Darian, hears his dreams, relays them to Aegon, Aegon reveals them to Bloodraven, and they hatch this whole plan. Right? right? Mm-hmm. we're going to send you guys to the wall you're going to get this on lockdown we're going to keep figuring things out but for now, Amon and Bloodraven, you're going right, because Daron's dreams come true, and this is a thing that's going to happen, I'm going to stay down here and figure out how to bring dragons back into the world right Aegon was very close to his brothers I think we're meant to see that in Duncan Egg other than Arion, who we hated, right and this closeness I think sets up this whole procession this whole attempt to stop the others at the wall is kind of this thing that maybe they all realized was going to happen at Darion's dreaming. Um, by now, of course, they probably think the dream is false because it took so long to happen. But uh, anyway, that's that's where I went. What do you think? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, and it's perfectly in line with, I think, what we've discussed in the past. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if it was a special episode or just on the cast where we talked about Amon on Dragonstone. Um, I don't remember, but I, it does seem like things really picked up after Amon went there. Um, I think it might've been the, the episode where Amon dies, where we talked about it hmm. during Davos after dark. I'll have to go I don't listen because I don't remember much. So I, I've got one, one more tiny little piece Okay, for extra credit. How old is Mance Raider? He would be in his... 40s. Oh, damn. Never mind. If I'm not mistaken. I had this whole thing putting Megor as the child at the wall that becomes Mance Raider. Whoa! 
that they actually take Magor with them to the wall. And Magor is that child that gets raised at the wall and becomes Mance Raider. Magor being Arion's child who disappears. Arion's child from, who disappears that we never hear from, from again. From history. Right? Yeah. But he's he'd be sick he'd be in his sixties, so it doesn't work. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Cause they kinda yeah, we'd be able to figure it out. I remember that he that was part of my thing was he'd be roughly an age with Rhaegar. With Rhaegar. Because yeah. that right. that's what added Otherwise to that my wouldn't work. Accepting of yeah. my theory. But I don't remember. Anyway, alright, throw the Magor stuff out then. But that's that's kind of the theory. I have it's tinfoil, I got nothing to support it other than just kind of circumstance and wonderings. But I like it. Right. I like it too. I think there's definitely a connection between um Darren the Dreamer between and Amon being with Darren the Dreamer at Dragonstone. Uh, at Dragonstone, the closeness of Amon and Aegon, uh, and then Amon ending up at the Wall with Blood Raven. Yeah, I think there's got to be something connecting all of that. So very cool. Good job putting that all together in a way that seems to make sense. Stringing it together Maybe. with bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, something we didn't really touch on on the cast, holding it aside for this moment, I think, is is our little our little uh, supporting characters of the Fossaways. <laughs> um, a rather big event, uh, or this trial of seven, ends up having some some major consequences for House Fossaway. Yeah that is divided down the middle at this, uh, at this tourney. When of course, Stefan um, kind of betrays the trust of Dunk and Raymond and goes off to fight for Arion's side. Raymond is so upset that before the fight begins, he goes and has his shield repainted, right? Yes. And change the color of the apple on the shield, which is traditionally red for House Fossaway. Uh, the color is changed to green. And this started a whole new line of Fossaways. Uh, we have the green apple Fossaways and the red apple Fossaways. And that happened here in this story. It did. So kind of a fun fact, right? Yes. Yes. And, uh... In the main series, John Fossaway is kind of seen all over the place. He's a he's a green apple Fossaway. He's a green. He yeah. seems a, a well-meaning knight, but he doesn't really do much of import, really. Um, kind of like Raymond. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> yeah, the Fossaways well, are kind of like a supporting house, you know. In that vein, uh, Tanton Fossaway of the Red Apple Fossaways was at Bitterbridge, um, of course, with Renly's retinue, and. He he stood up and swore to slay Sandor Clegane in single combat for Catelyn Stark. Uh, a small happening, but kind of reminiscent of that Stephen sounds like Stefan for sure, right? And a red apple Fossaway. Yeah. So wow, <laughs> you've got John, kind of the well-meaning yeah. guy there, yeah. the green apple, yeah, reminiscent of Raymond. Then you've got Tanton, uh, kind of reminiscent of Stefan. I don't know if Gurm meant to do that. But it's kind of funny how that all worked out. Um, yeah, in contrast to uh, that guy you just mentioned, whose name I've already forgotten, 
uh, Tanton. Tanton. No wonder I forgot it. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but John's John Fossaway's perhaps his most notable thing is offering to fight Sir Courtney Penrose in in single combat, but also admitting, <laughs> oh, there are other people that could be better. <laughs> He's like, I'm not as good as Karen or you know some of these other guys. But I'll do it. But I'll do it. Look, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> I'll totally do it. I'll totally do it. If you want me to. But I will. Can I, can I but not do be it? better. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, and it seems like, um, despite the animosity here in this story, that the green and the red apples uh, at least get along by by the time of A Song of Ice and Fire. Um They'd both thrown their support behind Renly Baratheon together. Uh, so it seems like they kind of stick together. I don't know if they're super friendly, but that's that. Yeah. And that's the Fossaways, right? The Fossaways. So fun little things that happen there. Um, Skad, you asked a question in our Davos After Dark notes of, will there be another Trial of Seven? Yeah. And you think possibly. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't have anything really to back it up. It just feels, and people make this argument sometimes, it doesn't absolutely have to be true. George is just writing a story here. It doesn't all have to pertain to the main series, but there's such a emphasis placed on it. And, and you know, then there was another example put it, put out, you know, in history as well. Um, it just kind of feels like there should be one in the main series. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I, I came up with a few possible possibilities. Nothing really earth shattering. Uh, well, Cersei yeah. is the obvious one, right? Um, she's got a trial coming up and she could, she could request one. I don't think she will because she knows how weak her options might be at the moment. Um, in fact, it would be interesting to know. I mean, if they don't have seven Kingsguard, I guess she can just choose other people. If they're not available. Oh, yeah, it's just like with Arion. Yeah, yeah with any Arion, knight that will fight yeah. for her yeah, could fight for um, her. But I don't know who would at this point, given you know the toxicity of, of the Lannister regime. Um, but it's, it's, it's the obvious one because we know a trial's coming, right? And Cersei's the kind of crazy person that could just be like, Yep, seven! I want seven people to die for me instead of one. Yeah. Um, and then there's... Uh, these are everything else is a little bit a little bit way more out there. Jorah and Ortyrian could be interesting if uh, if if Danny wants to put them up for crimes. Remember that Danny considers Lannisters to be traitors and usurpers, just like the Baratheons. Um, you know, and she could choose to try Tyrion for that. Um, she could still try try Jorah for for treason as well, uh, and both of them could take it if they wanted to. It could be a weird thing where Jorah steps in to defend Tyrion. It wouldn't be for for Seven. I don't know, but but that's a possibility. Um, Aegon himself, when Danny comes to bear, like if she thinks he's an imposter. I mean, who knows how that's all going to go down? We both admitted when we were talking to Joe the other day that we have no idea where that Aegon story's going. <laughs> but uh, you know, he could he could invoke it himself if he thought he had the men. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a. I could see it from his perspective as like a, as like a callback. Like I know my history, 
I know yeah, I was just that these are the kind of things in all of this history. Right. Yeah. These are the kind of things that somebody would do to prove their absolute righteousness. I'm doing it. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Danny, send forth your champions, which somebody knight somebody knight uh strong bellwas, please, because I want it. Uh <laughs> I can definitely see that one. The Aegon versus Danny trial by seven. It'd be kind of cool. I like that one. Yeah. It would be kind of cool. And the last one is a real stretch. Maybe like Stannis or John. Again, kind of a similar thing where Danny comes to bear or, or somebody else in power. And um, the crime again just being treason, basically. Maybe maybe it's all wishful thinking. I just love... I, just reading this passage today hey, this made me realize how much I loved about. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that'd be, it'd be cool. What do you think? What, you got any ideas? I I really like. I'm really thinking about the Danny versus Aegon one now. That could be really cool. It, here's here's the other thing. It would be be a great way to kill off characters too. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So you're gonna say? Well, kind of. I mean, I don't. Again, we both admitted with with Sir Joe the other day that we don't really know exactly where Aegon's story is going and what the intent is. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot out there, a lot of ideas, but it could be a way for, you know, for, for a lot of this to just come to a head quickly and end, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. to resolve these two claimants and to really thrust support behind one of them from a lot of the common people, right? Um, mm-hmm. All of a sudden there's two dragons claiming it. Okay, what? Right? Yeah, let the gods decide. Right. Yeah. Well, we've also talked about before how not every character in this series can have a happy ending, right? Yeah. And yep. Here's a way to get that yeah. done. True. <laughs> so again, uh, more hard-hitting, real journalism from the Davos Fingers crew, or just maybe some fun. That's how we roll. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Egg? You've got a lot of thoughts about Egg, or have you talked about him enough? <laughs> I've talked about... Uh, I feel like I made most of my points already. I mean, I, he just... There's still some Summer Hall stuff we could get to. There is. Um, we held off on the main portion. I'm not... I'm not an expert on Summer Hall. Um, no one is. There's just not a lot there's there. There's not a lot out there. But I'm not I'm, I'm no. not even an expert on theories about Summer Hall, right? But... <laughs> okay. um, He's... He's Aegon is willing, according to this text, to lie to get what he wants. He does it at least twice to get what he wants. Mm-hmm. And, and and you know, and it worked. He got what he wanted. And when you get what you want by doing something bad, then sometimes that teaches you that that's okay. And, you know, we don't know what else happens in the Duncan Egg stories outside of what's written. But maybe this is all a pattern towards Summerhall where, again, he's just going to do what he thinks he needs to do to get dragons. And we don't also, I don't think we know much about Aegon, correct me if I'm wrong, about why he was so got so obsessed with this. Um, other than, you know, and here we, we hear shall have peace. peace. Right. Well, That's it's, it's intimated. I always think of is Palpatine. 
<laughs> it, and it's similar. It's intimated that he had to make a lot of bargains with people because he didn't have the Death Star to enforce his, his wants. He didn't have that fear that he could use the stick, you know, to get people to do what he wanted. So he had to make a lot of compromises for his vision, which by all means seems like it was noble what he wanted to get done. Um, but still he's maybe going through a lot of pain and suffering to get, make that happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of shot this whole line of thinking in the foot with my theory about he's doing it for a very good reason. He knows that Darren told him with the dreams that there are others and that they need dragons to win or something. Right. Right. But it's a lot of death, man. A lot of pain. Just trying to wake some dragons. It's worse than Arion. Worse than what Arion did. Arion just killed himself. (sighs) Yeah. Um, I was just looking up the uh, World of Ice and Fire stuff here. Aegon V believed that with dragons, only with dragons, and this is the justification he used. Now, whether he's this is a cover for what you're talking about with your theory or if he truly believed this, his justification was that with only with dragons could he force the lords of the seven kingdoms to accept his decrees, like you said, and I'm looking at the Wiki of Ice and Fire now, to accept decrees, not just decrees, a big blanket decrees, but specific, it says here, decrees that granted freedoms, rights, and protections to the small folk. Right. So his justification that he wants dragons is to force the lords to be more uh, accepting, legal acceptance <laughs> of small folk. Yeah, it all sounds good. It sounds great. Yeah. Do we throw the BS flag? Well, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know so. that we can. I mean, I think all, all, all uh, closer analysis and new opinion of egg aside... I think we're meant to like him. I think we're meant to believe he's a nine-year-old kid that comes into his own and becomes one of the few sane Targaryens. I think we're meant to believe that. Yeah, um, and he doesn't... And just because he wants to bring dragons back doesn't mean that he's a psychopath. No, doesn't. Right. It does not end well, as you have made <laughs> yeah. the point. <laughs> yeah. But again, we don't know the consequences when we go in. We have to yeah. do what we think is right based on, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. There was, uh, there's the one, you remember in the Summer Hall thing, there's like some writings that had been destroyed and there's only like little bits and pieces of the writing left of yeah. what happened. Yeah. Um, and it says that one of those little bits and pieces is, but for the valor of the Lord Commander, and that's all you have. So... Like someone would have died, but for the valor of the Lord Commander or something like that. Or more people would have perished, but for the valor of the Lord Commander. It just kind of implies that Duncan, who was the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard at this time, at least did some good in his final moments before he died or something like that. Um, so I feel Rayola, like almost all Dunk did was good. Of course. I mean, he's Dunk. He's, yeah. Yep. Clad in his plot armor, he went about doing good. Um, so Rayella Targaryen was one of the few that actually survived, right? At least, you know. Her and Rhaegar. Yeah. 
Rhaegar was born there. Rhaegar then, far LJ is true, produced Jon Snow, which, you know, if all things pointing to it, Jon Snow's going to do something pretty great in the Winds of Winter and Dream of Spring. So who knows if Dunk, you know how it said that maybe one day he, his hand and foot might be needed more than Prince Baylor would be needed. Maybe he did something there at Summerhall that mm-hmm. eventually saves all of Westeros and maybe the whole world. Maybe. Right. Maybe. Something That's to think right. about. He grabbed the prince mm. with his hand and carried him out with his feet. With his foot, yeah. Went running out of there in those big, long gates he could have because he was so freaking big. And Covers chewed up some black root with his teeth to feed him. I don't know. I can't back that up. <laughs> Do you remember Blackroot? Anyway, Was that too far? It was a little bit. Willow? No, it's fine. Willow Wolfgun. Put hair on his chest. That movie's terrible. That movie's what? Terrible. You take that back. <laughs> I used to love that movie. Yeah. My favorite guy, who, what, what was his name? The blonde warrior, the bearded blonde one. Oh, yeah. Who's Eric, kind of the loud, Eric, boisterous guy. Yeah, Eric. Eric. I used yeah. to like him a lot. Yeah. I always he go for like the Blood kind of Heroes. supporting character. Oh, is he in that too? No, no. Just kidding. He would not have cut it. Yeah, saying. he would. Yeah. He got me really excited there for a second, pal. I think we're kind of uh, arriving at the end. Were you we're done arriving? with that? I think so. Done enough. Okay. I, I like it. I kind of just interjected and... I mean, all things considered, his ending wasn't great. But no. I think he. But what were his intentions? I think he tried. Yeah. 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 From what we can see, he tried to do a good job. Um, you know, I like Jamie, so I couldn't help but note some of the Brienne and Dunk connective stuff there. Uh, it's widely held for for those who may not have read up on it that. Duncan is a descendant of, or that Brienne is a descendant somehow of Duncan's, right? Yes. Um, even um, going almost so far outright as stated. Yeah. She finds, or she has her shield painted the same way as his. She remembered it from memory of a shield that was had to have been Dunk's shield that was in the armory at Tarth. How it got there, we don't know. Um, but anyways, uh, there's the line when Dunk goes after Arion. Um, and uh, where he's saying, don't go after Arion. And, and Dunk thinks it was good counsel, he knew. The old man would have said the same, referring to Sir Arlen. But he could not listen. It says, and that of course reminded me of the famous Brienne line, right? No chance and no choice when she's mm-hmm. fighting to defend the children at the end. Fight um, Yeah. And interestingly enough, she had no chance against seven. She knew that's the quote from the book. <laughs> she had no chance against seven. She knew no chance. And no choice. Yeah, that's interesting. 
the trial of seven. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, isn't that cool? These little parallels. You don't know if they're real. They're real or not, but they're <laughs> but they're awfully they're notable. Neat. Yeah. And of course, with all the dreams, uh, we have Jamie mentioning to Brienne. She said, and when he comes and rescues her, and she asks, "Why did you come back?" I dreamed of you, is what he replies. And then we've got Daron saying to to Dunk, "I dreamed of you." And later in the mystery night, Damon Blackfire tells Dunk that he dreamed of him. So, just kind of fun little things that who knows if they're meant to be that way, but they're cool. So, indeed, indeed, good polls, good polls. Uh are we done, dude? Oh, I think we can be done. Nice. I feel like we hit most of it. Whew. Hey, we really, we really came on in the second half of the podcast, man. <laughs> I feel like I was pretty energized from the start. I, I mean, I was having fun, but I think I think it took us a bit to ra- to ramp up in this one. Uh, I think we really got going once the trial of seven started and. We really took this thing places. So, uh, are we done? I think we're done. Let's do. You ready let's to do sign offs? Off. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I got this idea just a second ago for my sign off. It's a song. Are you ready for this song? I'm ready. Okay. Where did my pick go? I've got my guitar right here and everything. Are we going to play it? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. A live performance. <laughs> so um, my sign-off tonight is uh, Dunk singing to Arion Targaryen in the stylings of Dave Matthews. Oh, jeez. So here we go. And I can't sing like Dave Matthews. <clears throat> You got your ball, you've got your chain <laughs> Trying to take off my head again Oh, the dragon claws on you, my friend But with my shield I'll bash your face in yeah. Sweet like tansit to my soul down in the mud we roll and roll Lose to you, I'll never lose to you Oh, when you come crashing to me, yeah That's it. Wow. That's great. <laughs> that was amazing. I've been serenaded. You have. Well, Arian's been serenaded by Duncan. He has. Well, my sign-off is a serenade to Baylor, but I'm not going to sing it. Uh, uh-huh. I was hearing uh, some Kansas on the way home today. Ooh. Carry on, my wayward son, for there'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest, half of it anyway. Don't you cry no more. Love it. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.
Luke wanted to race back to the car, and it was like mm-hmm. a reasonable run. It was, you know, it was like 30 or 40 yards. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, we'll race. And I take off, and like, I can't even do full strides. Like, I can feel my muscles <laughs> telling me, like, you're going to pull all of us. Every single one of us is going to get pulled if you keep doing this. And so I had to, like, shorten my strides to these little weird... <laughs> I don't even want to imagine what it looked like. <laughs> But I beat him. This is us, man. This is us. I beat him, though. That's what matters. Good. That is what matters. Matt, I pity you, man, because I got the sniffles tonight. I'm going to mute as much as I can to avoid them getting on the cast. So enjoy that. Quick editing fingers. <laughs> oh, Nancy, and I think I it was. Fingers. I was. Uh, I was kind of getting over sickness last episode. So uh, we shared it through the mic. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, uh, the casualness with which which they treat others, uh, specifically small folk don't even count as humans really to them. Um, But then not just that casualness, but then um, I kind of lost my train of thought. (laughs) What a night. What a night. Oh, what a night. I had something else and then I just immediately lost it. But Hey Blood Riders. Let's give credit where credit's due with the music. So, Crash Into Me by the Dave Matthews Band. Their most well-known song, but definitely not their best. So check out the rest of their library. But this one's off of their album, Crash, from about 1996, I believe. The other song, of course, was Carry On, Wayward Son. Please, carry on. Uh, That's off of Kansas's album Left Overture, clear back from 1976. Love our music. We love you guys. Stay savage, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.